Theory Podcast. Boom, what's up people? Welcome to Creative Theory Podcast, the show that brings you conversations with visual artists about how they got to where they got, what their day-to-day is like, what their struggles are, thoughts in the art world, and a lot, a lot more. Uh, today, uh, very lucky to have an artist, art director, and writer based in Toronto uh, on the show who has worked in both video game and animation fields. Uh, his directorial debut, Space Between Stars, has won Best Canadian Short and Audience Choice Awards at Taffy, amongst many other awards and nominations and mentions, uh, which I'm sure we'll get into, and many other of his endeavors and more. Uh, Samuel Bradley. Sam, thanks so much for taking time and coming onto the show. Yeah, I'm excited. Thank you for, for having me. It's great to be here. I'll uh, Let me just, uh, off the from the start, mention dreamylabs.com is your website, spacebetweenstars.com, for anyone who's listening. If you want to uh, cue that short... Uh, or check it out on the side, and I'll make sure I'll post a link after. And on Instagram, find new eyes. So just so we get this out of the way so that people can look at your yeah, art thanks. while we talk about it. Sounds good. Yeah, my website, it's a little uh, a little out of date. Um, there's a, a bit more recent stuff on my Instagram, but I feel like like a lot of people, most of my recent work is kind of locked behind NDAs, right? It's uh, part, of the, part of the artist's life, I guess, as you work on things, and then they don't make it out into the world for quite a while after that. But yeah, there is some semi-recent stuff on my Instagram, at least. Uh, 100%. And I, I don't know about you, but I'm sometimes pretty jealous of uh, my friends who work at, uh, I guess, if it's marketing or advertising animation fields where the things they work on come out the next month. You know, I'm sure there's downsides to it, but they get to show their work pretty often. Yeah, I just, um, I've been like primarily freelancing for the past few years and I just wrapped up a gig um, with like a small animation studio here in Toronto. A few of my friends had their own little boutique animation studio and it was like a quick turnaround and I think it's going to be out pretty soon and it was so exciting honestly for them to contact me and them to be like oh it'll be out in a couple months because usually it's like you wait a couple years and then who wants to excitedly push their work out into the world that they you know they designed or painted or whatever you know three four years ago right it's hard to be enthusiastic that much longer especially when it's years and I think especially as your ideally as your skill grows I always think about this where it would be very upsetting to look at something two years ago and think that it's so much better than what you can do now. Um, right, yeah. Must be a scary situation to be in. I, honestly, uh, I'm sure it probably happens to anyone, everyone at some point as uh, you kind of take on different path. Um, you, you mentioned your website and the way I wanted to start this is looking at your work and looking at your personal work, actually, uh, you do a lot of cityscapes, you do a lot of environments and uh, I can tell, or my impression is that you uh, enjoy travel and I think being outside quite a lot. And so maybe the way we should get this started is uh, see how has, you know, these last two years pandemic affected you and how is, is your life now these days? Yeah. Um, so I think that that's sort of like a, a couple of different ways I can answer that question um, because the way it's like affected my professional life and work and my my personal art and work um both of them have been pretty impacted during covid and and in different ways um i guess like um the professional side of things is maybe the easier route to go down probably a similar story to uh almost everyone who's who's listening to this or is working as an artist you know there was a time where everyone was in a studio and then all of a sudden covid is here and everyone's scrambling to rearrange right and i like very fortunately and luckily transitioned to uh, like a long-term uh, contract with a video game studio. I want to say like 
two or three months before I had heard the word COVID. It was like the November before mm. all of this started. And um, prior to that, I was spending two or three days a week at an animation studio. And then I was teaching at a college and just doing little kind of freelance gigs to fill in the gaps. And one of those little gigs was at a with a video game studio and they were ramping up and there was like a sort of a big milestone and they asked if I could come on full time and it was a cool project and a good fit for me um, and the other stuff I was doing was sort of ramping down and so it was like a good time to go into like a full 40 hour week with them and then um, when I came on board they were already a fully remote project like the team was an international team the creative director um, was in Canada, he was in Quebec, but the um, technical lead on the project, he was in Tokyo. So literally wow. like every time zone, there was always someone awake and working on the project. And so I came onto that and then, yeah, like two months later, I was, you know, watching all my friends trying to scramble as their computers were getting put into cardboard boxes and shipped to their apartments and, you know, trying to sort out what kind of office share they were gonna be using and whatnot. Um, so yeah, I, I guess I, I was a little bit lucky compared to most people because I got to do it without the, the push and the stress and the anxiety that I think uh, a lot of other artists had to go through. But it was still a big change for me because up until, um, I want to say like 2018, um, I had been working pretty much full time in animation studios here in Toronto. I graduated college in, in 2007. Um, yeah, and I had been like a all day, every day in studio artist for a really long time. Um, and then, yeah, it was just right before COVID that I switched. and. Uh, I am pretty good about being able to sort of like track myself and stay productive and I feel like I do good work at home. Uh, I, sometimes honestly when I was in studio I would struggle. I worked at one studio that was like a very uh, open concept space and it was really hard for me just with like people moving in front of me and people talking everywhere. I get really easily distracted by volume and moving pictures. Um, so yeah, in that way, it was nice to come home and not have to deal with that. Um, but yeah, there are downsides of this life as well, right? I miss mm -hmm. uh, I miss the water cooler talk. I miss going out for lunches. I miss seeing my friends and getting coffee and all that stuff, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, and we can come back around to that, but I just want to touch on the personal art side of things as well, because you mentioned that and I yeah, yeah. lose my okay. train of thought. Um, a lot of my personal work, like you're saying, is um, cityscapes, paintings that are inspired by, um, you know, my life and my travels and predominantly my home, Toronto. That's where uh, I find a lot of my inspiration. And, and a big part of that, especially pre-COVID, um, was I like I'm a walker. I like to go for really long walks. Uh, when I yeah. was in studio, I was walking to and from the studio every day. Um, and, you know, you just like you, you see a lot when you're out, you experience the world and then it's where I did for the most part, a lot of my best sort of uh, reflecting and idea generation as well was when I was out on those walks, it becomes kind of like a sort of a meditative process where you can lose yourself in your ideas in a way that is like really hard to cultivate if you're sitting down in front of your Cintiq and saying, okay, time to come up with a, a new idea, right? In front of this yep. blank Google document or Photoshop file. It's just a, I think a different part of your brain. Um, and so, yeah, walking was a really big part of my creative process, but just due to the fact that I was out and about when I was getting into this creative headspace, um, I was just also absorbing my surroundings, right? Um, you stumble mm -hmm. across something that's particularly inspiring, be it, you know, some people you see on the street or the light or the time of day or the architecture or, or whatever it is, right? And so, yeah, I started painting these little moments to try and capture certain 
feelings or ideas that I would have. And some of them are, are quite literal. It's just, you know, you catch like the morning light reflecting off the rim of a building. And you're like, oh, that's a that would be a stunning photograph or painting. And other times it would be trying to um, take a snapshot of a, a mood or an emotion that I had when I was at a certain point in my life um, in the same way that like, you know how sometimes if you've worked on something for a really long time and you're like listening to an album on repeat when you're making that painting and then you go back to that painting two years later, you can hear that song. I was trying to sort of like, yeah, I was trying to, I was trying to do the same thing except with some of my personal feelings. Right. And there are a few, a few pieces where when I go back and look at them, they are kind of like little, little time machines for me where I can instantly recall where I was when I was like, ah, oh, I've got the inspiration for this image. Right. Um, I love so yeah, that. that's the, go ahead. No, I love that. I love when when that actually happens, and it's uh, uh, there will be an interesting study on its own how it's like a, a, an emotion or music, like you're saying, imprints itself onto visual memories. So that's pretty uh, wonderful. So yeah, what, I think yeah. that's like a synesthesia is the word, right? Where your senses sort of get mixed up. Um, and yeah, I don't know. It happens with like smells and pictures, and I think all of your senses, your your taste as well, it can all sort of mix in together. But yeah, for me, visuals, be it something I'm creating or something I'm seeing versus the feelings I'm having at the time, they, they definitely get mixed up and interspersed. And, you know, sometimes I want to I wanna capture those things. And I, I've tried as well and had it completely fail. You know, there are some paintings that go back and look at them. And I was like, I have no idea what I was thinking when I when I made this thing, right? I don't want to make it sound like it's a some kind of profound thing. But every now and then uh, I get lucky and I do manage to, to capture that, which is a it's an exciting thing. Um, but the yeah, the, the, yeah, absolutely. Um, and then, and then the pandemic did impact that as well, just because the process of like living my day-to-day life and the routine that I had this sort of like going out and walking and generating ideas and, you know, like being in a busy Toronto's like a big city, right? There's like, mm-hmm. it's, it's pretty dense. There's a lot of people here, continually more people being here. The skyline is constantly growing. You know, there's like 50, a hundred new skyscrapers every year. It seems like there's condos popping up everywhere. So it's just like for a long time, was a place that was like very dense, right? Density was a big part of the experience. And then all of a sudden, you know, almost overnight, the city was empty. Um, and it was really hard for me, actually. Um, at the beginning of COVID, probably the biggest struggle was trying to fill in that gap in my life, both in terms of like the creative process of being out in the world, but also like the physicality of it, just going from someone who's very active to working from home. It was hard to say, okay, I'm going to just push pause on my work for the next hour and go for a walk, right? It's much different when I like I had a place to be and a place to go to motivate myself mm-hmm. to do it versus I'm just going to push pause. Um, and so it was probably, I think, like eight months or so into the pandemic and and I got a dog and it was like the best, <laughs> the best thing that happened to me during COVID for sure was getting a dog. I've wanted a, a dog for years and years and years, but because I was this studio person, constantly going into work i didn't feel like it would be fair you know for a pet to be home alone without me um but then i was here all the time and i needed motivation to get outside and so thankfully my dog has like solved this problem for me which is which is great i love it and it gave you a gigantic dose of uh, dopamine every day absolutely yeah it's it's like the best thing um you know i think it's i've had to remind myself throughout covid how fortunate a lot of creatives, myself included, are because I also had a lot of friends who worked in industries that were like much, uh, much more impacted by what was going on. I had a few friends who were all working at the same travel agency and within like two weeks, 
all of them were laid off. You know, that was like one of the industries that was like hit the hardest, the fastest, right? Like all of a sudden no one is going anywhere. Um, and yeah, so I, I do have a lot to be thankful for. And really, I feel like it's the people who do what we do. It, it's kind of luck, right? Like there was no way anyone could have predicted there would be a, a global pandemic and, you know, planned a career path that would sort of like skirt that a little bit. So I'm yeah, I'm, I'm thankful for that. Um, and that said, though, I, I think even for the people in in our situation, um, the you know, in, in some cases, very drastic change of lifestyles. Uh, mm. It was it was a struggle, right? And yeah, for the the beginning of COVID, it was quite hard for me. And thankfully, I was still able to you know pay my bills and and have a job and function in that way. But the I think the social aspect of it uh, was yeah was very very difficult. And um, getting getting a pet was a, was a great way to start to sort of like figure out what my what my new groove would be and find a way to like like you're saying get those dopamine hits again, right? <laughs> have some kind of interaction. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, what you mentioned there is that um, 100% we're lucky, and, and and I'm sure in some ways, uh, you know, like when you when you feel you got lucky and you still feel bad, that's what sometimes probably makes it worse from some of the artists because you're you know it's that situation where you should feel like uh, everything should be content and yet and you know for I, I know that for some artists that I spoke to that was a feeling right because you're right we 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 still had our jobs and yet you know some people who rely so much on human connection being pushed uh, to home when that uh, certainly uh, I know affected people um, quite heavily when you're you know you, it's interesting uh, hearing you talk about Toronto because when I was um, before the podcast I was looking at your Instagram account and I could tell your love for the city even in the way you captured your mm. uh, captioned your paintings you know I think one of them talking about the lights in the city it's uh, it's really cool that uh, I think you, you you certainly captured the love or the interest that you have for the city and your art uh, you know without you saying that I kind of got the feeling so that's pretty cool that, uh, you know, it is translating. Right, you mentioned... that, that's good to hear. Mm-hmm. So, sorry, go ahead. No, no. Um, but yeah, and you mentioned earlier, so you're going to start this job uh, prior to the pandemic starting out. So you were willing to give it, I mean, that's a big change and it's a big choice that you're, as you mentioned, after being in studio for so long, you were, you know, you were imposing that potentially on yourself to be remote and being away from the people. I'm assuming the project must have been, and actually we can talk about because it it's come out, I think, but the project yeah. must have been very interesting to you that you're willing to take that step and, you know, do remote. Yeah, so the, the project, uh, it, was a, it was my first, like, full-time opportunity working on a video game. My, my background had been primarily animation for TV with little, I had done some game work before, but really just like short freelance stints, you know, like a couple of weeks here and there, or someone would reach out for some biz dev or concept stuff, but it was always like tiny little things, which they were great opportunities, but I didn't really get to feel like I had a hand in the project. And so this game I worked on, it's called Jet the Far Shore, and it came out last fall and um, sort of a roundabout way that I ended up on it. Um, but throughout my whole life i've been into games it's been a hobby of mine something that i've enjoyed since i was since i was a little kid um and i guess when i was young it just didn't occur to me that that was like a potential career path and i also wasn't super art focused when i was young either ending up in arts and then in animation was kind of uh 
there was some some luck and happenstance that led me there it wasn't like a like a goal i had when i was young and so the same thing with games i just like i didn't have the ambition to make them even though i enjoyed engaging with them consuming them a lot um mm -hmm. but the the studio who made jet they're called super brothers uh they they reached out to me after having seen my film and I had played one of their earlier games, a game called uh, Sword and Sorcery, which came out in like, let's say like 2010 or so. It was yeah. like, a, first it was like an iOS game. I think you can kind of play it on anything now. You can get it on your Nintendo Switch or what have you. Um, but I loved it when I first played it. It was like a, a really eye-opening experience for me in terms of like the potential of the medium. Um, and I think that is what excites me most about games is sort of like the vastness of the potential of the medium. So when they reached out to me, uh, it was kind of a no brainer. And it was like a very light, early commitment at the beginning where I was, again, just kind of coming on to do a little bit of play testing and a little bit of viz dev and to see where that went. But it, yeah, we just had really good chemistry and there was a, a fair bit of overlap in terms of aesthetic with my own personal art and what it was that they were building with Jet. Uh, and so when things were ramping up and production was getting pretty intense, it was, I think, uh, a natural uh, opportunity for them to extend a little bit more work for me. And yeah, like I said, it just so happened that the other commitments that I had been working on just before that were ramping down. And so I figured it would be a great opportunity to see what it was like to work in games and I, and I'm really glad I did it was a it was a great opportunity uh, they were they are great and you know I had a, a really positive experience working with them and I learned a, a ton um, after working in animation for a really long time even the projects that I was really excited about it became a real known quantity for me you know the the mm -hmm. uh, sort of like exploratory excitement you get when you're learning new things had faded a little bit and I yeah. missed it and I was kind of hungry for that. And so this opportunity for games seemed like a good way to to get that back. And honestly, I didn't know how it would go. Like the idea of it in my head seemed great, but that's the case with a lot of things where you're like, oh, wouldn't it be cool if, and then you do it and sometimes it is cool and other times it's, it's really not. And so I didn't know how this was gonna go, but thankfully, luckily, um, it was a really positive experience for me. And I am still working more in games now, like with a, with a different studio and I, I assume I will continue doing this kind of work because uh, yeah, it still feels exciting and I still feel like I'm learning a lot, which um, which is a nice thing. Yeah, I, I, this is a really cool story. And I think it's a really cool emotion to relate to as an artist that people enjoy listening to just because, uh, you know, the, the way you got this project. And I You mentioned Sword and Sorcery and I'm, that was a really beautiful, beautiful game. And still, you know, I guess it was like pixel art and it, it just felt like... Um, I guess a side-scroller game, but like are directed wonderfully. And so yeah. it actually, I, I love the fact that they found you for the project because Jet looks incredible for people. Uh, Jet 2Ts, look it up. Um, they, again, and a, the incre incredible art direction by, by you, the, it's it's got a strong look. And I was going to ask about this, how you went from animation to games, so you answered that. But also I want to ask, it feels like somehow when I look at your work, it... It doesn't. Uh, I'm trying to. I'm trying to figure out how to say it, but it's like it doesn't feel like generic art station work. Basically, <laughs> what I'm trying to say. Uh, there's a better way to say this. Your work is very unique. You know, the reason I mentioned not generic art station work is because somehow you're able to find your voice within this animation games art world. It's. I feel like it's such a hard thing to do these days if you're consuming media. You know, including myself, including other people here. While you know, so to maintain a unique flavor and it's. 
it feels honest to you. And the fact that I feel like this game jet that you've made and the short that we're going to talk about and your personal work, all of them feel like you. It's pretty impressive. And I don't know if you have an insight about yourself, uh, how you're <laughs> I, able to do that. I could talk about this topic endlessly. And I, first of all, thank you very much for saying that. It's one of those things where um, I trust when people say that, but from my point of view, genuinely, I can't see it. And it's funny um, because I have had a, this conversation with other people who say, oh, that is distinctly a Sam drawing or a Sam painting or even like a narrative idea that fits your vibe, you know? And mm -hmm. I'm just like, I'm, I'm glad other people are receiving it that way. And, and the reason is that when I was younger, it was something I was super, super hung up on. And I think it wasn't until I let go of the pressure of like finding my style it wasn't until that point that people started to say this to me, right? And like I said, from my point of view, I still struggle to see it, but um, I'm glad to know that it's it's communicating to other people. And I, if I had to try to articulate what it is that I think people are maybe picking up on, it it, it has a, um, like a genesis more in the ideas that are in the work rather than the explicit way that I'm executing on a technical level, because I don't feel like I have a, a specific approach that I take for all of my work, especially when I switch from project to project. You know, I'm happy to use different tools or sometimes different software or, you know, do my best to meld with whatever pre-established look or art direction that the project has. So yeah, I don't think it is really just like, um, you know, the, the muscle memory that comes through in my draftsmanship. I probably would think it is, you know, something more on a conceptual level. But yeah, when I was when I was in art school, I think this is something probably a lot of people went through or are going through while they're, you know, up and coming, yeah, be it a, an art student or, you know, they're just starting out their careers or you know, it's something that they potentially want to do when they get older is work as an artist, try and find their style. I remember, when I was in school, we would have these like this traveling book sale that would show up at Sheridan and probably twice a year they would come in and they would have like, it was really the only way, way you could get like a book of one specific artist, right? Like the, mm -hmm. you know, people had blogs, but even then it was, this was like 2005-ish is probably around this time. People had like light web presences, but there wasn't Twitter, there wasn't Instagram. I guess like there was the concept art website and forums, but that was like a, a really specific look. Um, but yeah, this book fair would come around to the school and they would have these books and you would pick them up and I don't know, I would just pour over the books and try to figure out how these people had come up with such distinct styles. Like I remember the first time I bought like a Robert Valley sketchbook and I was like, oh, how, yeah. <laughs> how is this a real human that has made this art? And, yeah. you know, I, I think that everyone has those artists in, in their journey. They discover them early on. Another one that was big for me that wasn't a contemporary artist, but was the first time I saw, uh, the illustration work of JC Liondecker. What am I, oh, yeah. um, my life drawing teacher in my final year at Sheridan, he introduced me to Liondecker and it was like a, I feel like there is a before and after line that could face for me in my art because it just like completely opened my eyes to the potential of what art could be, right? Yeah. Um, but at that time, I was like, okay, so how do I find my style? What's my style? How do I have that thing? How do I, how did they do it? And I want it. And I think the harder I tried to like force it, the more 
forced it looked and the more it looked like I was biting you know it just like yeah, yeah, I'd be yeah. like oh that guy's got a great style I want I want that but I wasn't like breaking down sort of how they got to that point I was just emulating technique um, and again I think maybe that's part of growing as an artist uh, it, everyone goes through phases like that but eventually at some point I think I just started to slowly get over myself you know I think also maybe when I was younger and a new artist, I had a lot more insecurities about um, my abilities and where I was going and the things I wanted to do and absolutely could not do. Um, you know, I really struggled. It, it took me a long time, I think, before I could produce any any work that even had a semblance of professionality about it. You know, like I was doing a lot of stuff that like was obvious to me, very rudimentary. And so I felt like if it looked bad to me, it probably looked bad to everyone. And yeah, it was just like that sort of ugly duckling phase that a lot of people go through when, when they're a young artist. And I don't know what it was, I guess like putting in a lot of hours and finding a few things that I, I think I genuinely took pleasure from. Um, I remember when I first started to paint just for the sake of painting, as opposed to like painting for the sake of accomplishment or recognition and I, I was happy to just make art on my own and sort of like let go of some of the trappings um, mm -hmm. I think probably if I had to narrow it down that would have been the phase where I started to find whatever it is that people recognize as a, as my voice and my art but again it's like it's nice that you're seeing it there I think another place where and this is another sad one for to bring it back to the top of topic of the pandemic but going to figure drawing sessions was for a very, very long time, a, a, a big part of my creative routine. Um, mm -hmm. I went to the same figure drawing studio every Thursday night for, I want to say 12 years and it wow. stopped right before the pandemic. And I have not drawn from a live model in the last two and a half years. And I'm, I'm itching. Um, yeah. but I think, yeah, part of it was, you know, that's like life drawing is a great way to produce with zero pressure. You know, you're never going to like, apply for a job with your life drawings right there's <laughs> there's nothing that really comes yeah, yeah, of it yeah. other than you get your hands dirty and you make some art and you get to experience the joy of creating you know and yeah i think but, that helped but I, like I also think hmm. from life drawing and there's a lot that comes from it that i think you may not realize in the way you study form and shape because that's one thing um i think it's like uh, you i i feel i have a feeling and you know you let me know i think you I feel like you actually don't realize how much comes from training your eye-hand coordination every week. But also, you know, human anatomy is incredibly difficult. Human form is incredibly difficult. And I guess it depends on the goals that you come into that session every day and what you want to get out of it. Because for a while, I feel like I had the mistake I was doing was not being kind of... I just kind of came in and drew and I, I do look back on those times and wonder if I could have gotten more out of it if I came into the class and thought, you know, today I'm just going to try to see if I can bend the pose as much as I can. Because it's probably out of that out of that intent would have come something more. But even still, I think if you're drawing, I have a feeling if you're going to draw a car the next day, I have a feeling you're probably going to draw a better car just because uh, totally analysis agree. of shapes. Yeah, uh, I think that there's like, there's at the end of the day, there's no substitute for putting in the hours in terms of just like being able to create an image. I, I don't think there are shortcuts, right? There, There is knowledge mm -hmm. that you can discern and gain that will give you a leg up, but ultimately you do just have to draw and draw and draw and paint and paint and paint. And life drawing was one of those things that was, yeah, a regular part of my routine. Man, so it's, for sure it's, you're right. It's gym for artists. And, uh, you know, I actually, uh, Sam, I like, seriously, I wrote down a question here uh, that it's been a long time since I went on an artist's website and I've seen the live drawing section. And I 
honestly, like, I think because you came out of school that, you know, really well known for animation, I, I used to be an animator. Um, so I went through 3D animation training and mm-hmm. live drawing was kind of a, a thing. I, I was told how important it is. And I remember how disappointed, well, not disappointed, how shocked I was once I started working, how many 3D animators didn't know or didn't enjoy live drawing. And then, which I, I realized they don't have to, you know, the incredible 3D animators who don't draw, but they're the best. So that's actually, you know, on long term, I learned that maybe it doesn't matter. But I remember constantly having live drawing thing on my website and at a certain point it was gone. But seeing your, your page, I kind of reminded how much I loved it and value it. But it was just, it was strange because I realized that I don't see that anymore. And I, for the longest time, I did. Yeah, it's interesting, right? I, I think that like... Part of me feels like keeping it on my website is a little self-indulgent because I know that I will never, you know, if I, if I think of my website as like a, a business card, mm-hmm. if anything, it's getting in the way, right? It's like people are going to click on that and be like, what is this? Why is this here? Um, but I also, and this I think oftentimes works to my detriment, but um, I'm really uh, hesitant to, to brand myself for specific commercial purposes. I I understand why people do that. And I think it's different now, like for younger artists, I imagine you kind of have to. It's probably very, very hard when there are so many super talented people coming up all the time. You kind of have to make it super razor clear what it is you want to do so that you stand out in a crowd. Um, but for me, I just like, when I go to someone's, website or their Instagram or their Twitter and it's just a list of credits like I I want to know more about the the person the artist than I do their resume right yeah, and so yeah. I'm I, I guess I'm just stubborn about that where I want people to see my life drawing because I feel like there's more of me in those drawings than there are I, I don't think I have any commercial work on my website actually and I like in the span of the last 15 years while I've been a working professional, I've made, you know, like 20 times, 50 times more commercial work than I have made personal work. Um, and, you know, every now and then, you know, I, I did post some work from Jet on my Instagram. I will kind of drips and drabs share that stuff. And it's not that I'm not proud of it. I do really like that work. But I don't know. I have this. Maybe it's naive, but I like the idea that people are able to get a sense of who I am when they yeah when they go to my website or my social media and i think life drawing is it is like a very pure thing right the way that it's made and the way that it's consumed so that's why i leave mm-hmm. it there is because i feel like if people see that they're seeing part of the real me as an artist as opposed to you know just something with the studio name stamped on top of it that maybe maybe they would like and maybe it would be better for getting me work but it's <laughs> it feels like a resume you know and yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Do you think Jet, the reason why you're more proud of Jet is because it's closer to the kind of work that you like doing than your previous projects? Maybe, that's, that's for sure. For sure, that's part of it, right? Like, there was a long time where um, people would see my work and then they would say, hey, this is great, we want to hire you and we want you to do this thing that's completely different than your work. And I, I think that's <laughs> a thing that, like, again, a lot of people, they experience that, right? It's just like, oh, you're great. Now come on to our project and do this thing. And I don't think that there there was a, any real like malicious intent. It wasn't like, you know, people were being like side handed in their compliments or anything like that. It's just working in animation, especially there is going to be an art direction and a style and you need to fit that. And, and that's fine. I, I don't resent that at all. Um, but of course, anyone is going to be more excited when someone comes to them and says, we love your work. Can you do more of this thing? For our project, right? It's I think 
most artists are going to prefer to work that way. And Jed is for sure one of those projects mm-hmm. where we connected because there was an overlap of sensibilities and tastes. And like I said, we gelled really well in terms of uh, our creative ambitions, both independently as well as for the project as a whole. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that for sure is part of part of it. I think also um, is subject matter. Like one thing I, I will admit is that even with the work of my own that I put online, I the one thing that I do keep in mind when like curating what I want to show and what I want to hold back is that people are going to come to you um, to do the things that they see that you can do, right? And so I've worked, most of my work in TV was either aimed at preschool or younger demographic. And mm-hmm. I really, really liked working on those shows. And a couple of them in particular, without like going into my whole back history, I feel like mm-hmm. honestly had a really positive impact on the on the people who got to experience them as the target audience, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, some preschool shows, they do make a really good impact and help people grow and learn and become human beings, right? Uh, and so I'm proud of some of the work that I've done on those shows for sure. Um, but I think that maybe this is a bit of my Toronto career filtering into my thoughts on things because there is a lot of preschool work here and there is a lot of service work here. I think mm-hmm. that the medium extends so far, far, far beyond that. And especially in recent years, the potential for like, for lack of a better term, mature animation, mature storytelling in both animation and games has really started to explode. And I get excited about working on things that I would be happy to be an audience member for, you know, where yeah. I am sort of the, the target audience. And so I do try and curate, curate my work in that sense so that when people come to see what it is I do, I hope when they see it, they are interested in me doing things that I would like to then be on the opposite side of, you know, both the creator yeah. and the consumer side of things. Um, and Jet, again, was one of those, like, had I not worked on that project, I would have been very excited to play that game, um, <laughs> completely unrelated. So I guess that's really the dream, isn't it? I mean, being able to work on something that you can consume. And I, I think you just gave really good advice to people listening. And although I, I suppose it only works as long as you're not without a job, right? And that's a tricky part about our industry and also more probably being in Canada than US is that, like you said, in Vancouver side, BC side as well, a lot of service work. And so... You know, if you if you can be picky and go for the projects that you enjoy, uh, I think that's pretty cool. And uh, and that's why it seems like a fine line you, uh, of how much to show of that. So because, for example, you know, you mentioned uh, kind of a couple of minutes ago of uh, not branding yourself as a thing. And you, I feel like so often and kind of thinking about it, it sounds a little sad, but I can see the reasons of why people would do it. But for example, someone be like, I'm a prop artist. And it's mm-hmm. like. Man, like I'm sure you're a lot more than just a prop artist. You're probably putting that so you could get a job in, you know, let's yeah. say video games. And um, I, I, yeah, I, and I, I don't want to be disparaging at all because I think that like that is a, a valid way to to get work. And I I wouldn't want to make anyone who has gone through that process either while they're looking for work now or continuing to get work doing that wouldn't want them to feel like it's not appropriate or it's somehow lesser than, right? Um, I I feel like I get to speak from a bit of a position of privilege just because I've been doing this for for a long time, right? So... I don't think you are, by the way. I, I sorry, if I... I, I no, I didn't... I can tell your intention. You're not trying to... I guess like the... I'm just kind of wondering about the flip side, but it would be interesting to, you know, whether someone, let's say, if they're two years into the industry, it's I think it's a, a pretty interesting thing to consider 
to know what to showcase and maybe there's no right answer there because you never know if someone looks at your website and your what you actually do outside of work is going to get you the job or what you do at work i don't think there's a you know that's a uh, these are all very interesting things to consider when someone is showing you the work yeah I, I, I don't know about yourself like because you're you're an art director as well and i think maybe we should touch upon here uh, is how you hire people and how you look for artists because you just mentioned you want to see personalities in an artist right mm-hmm. is this how you so maybe this would be an interesting kind of segue when you hire people and you look at portfolios how, how does that process go for you you know i think that like the job of being an art director is such a weird thing it's like a title that even in one industry like if you just look at tv animation or you just look at video games if you take an art director from one project and you put them beside an art director on another project so many times like the thing they have most in common is their title and what they actually (laughs) do day to day is so so dramatically different right and so Mm -hmm. i don't for sure presume to have the the right answers to it all all i know is that like from my experiences art directing over a bunch of different projects, I've I've started to glean the things that work for me. And I, and I do think it is what you're saying for me. And maybe that's why I want to present myself more as, as a person, as an artist, than as someone who has a very specific skill set is because I do gravitate towards that. And, and part of the reason why is, again, in my experience, the, the best way to build something great, the times that I've made what I feel is the best work and I've gotten both on my own and then with the teams that I've worked with the closest to sort of reaching the potential of what we were hoping for it's much more rooted in personality and rapport than it is technical ability and I think Mm -hmm. that there is like there is a minimum technical requirement you know if you're hiring someone say as a background painter they do need to know how to paint but I for sure am the kind of person that would take someone who is a little less experienced, a little more green with a great personality over someone who has 10 years more experience, but is a prima donna. You know, I feel like being able to build a good relationship with someone and connect with them as a human and sort of get on the same page in terms of where things are going and being excited to work together. That is when I do my best work. And so, you know, part of the role of being an art director is usually you're leading a, a team big or small and so if, if that's how i'm doing my best work then it's kind of it behooves me and the project to find a team who also fits well within that right who also yeah. sort of gels with me and gels with the project and just has like a, a good pleasant vibe um you know and then there i think i i imagine i have worked with other art directors who are you know a lot more strict about just being able to deliver and do the job and they kind of want to be hands off and let people just do their own thing. And it isn't about like, uh, building sort of a group of poor so much it is as it is building, uh, a team with a skill set. And I can see that work as well. Right. I don't think there is a right or wrong way. I just, for me, there is like an emotional component to it for sure. Uh, and I get excited when I can see a person in their art at, yeah, as opposed to, um, a, a specific skill set, I think. Yeah, me too. I, 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 and it's it's interesting how it is the personal taste and the things we like, potentially, yeah, what we admire. Because, for example, I do like seeing artists and seeing them do, like, plein airs, for example, or, uh, you know, learning from life or showing their excitement for... Basically, I guess, them being excited about art in their own way. And I think I saw it in your work. But when people, when people don't 
and maybe that's not going to be everyone, but when people find themselves in it, which is so incredibly hard, but because you see the joy and the excitement in art is when people clearly do it for, you know, personal reasons. Like they didn't just, I always make this example, but like they didn't just draw an orc, you know, yeah, probably, you know, maybe they painted something on the side, but it just shows so much to me about their personality. And you're right, like, I guess minimum skill required, but after that, and maybe I, I suppose that really does depend on a project. Kind of like yourself, I've worked also in a, a number of shows that are preschool where I would imagine, you know, a lot of artists uh, could, with skills could succeed at. So that that point, I'm building a team, as you say, or ideally, if I had to get a chance, it's like wonderful humans who, you know, we can also get along and talk about a bunch of other things that we like because, you know, we, we can all draw during the day, but there's a bunch of other things that are important. And again, that uh, maybe to add to that is, that's because of the projects that I work on. You know, if let's say, you know, um, let's say someone, you know, I got to work on Halo or something like that. I think that would be very different because uh, something that on that level of technicality, you 100% have to be hiring for people for probably right. skill a lot more than um, something that, like a preschool property. So I'm in, I, I suppose in a way I'm still, you know, younger director for sure. Uh, got a long, long, long way to go and learn. But I do like this idea of being able to, I don't know, bring on artists that are I can admire as humans and see the human in the art, and then you know build something cool together. Yeah, um, I think that also like some of my my best friends I've met in that way, right? Like people I've connected with who we're working together, and you know, there have been projects where I've been in an art director role, and other projects where I've just been a member of the team, and it, that kind of that part of it doesn't even really factor in. It's just connecting with people is connecting with people, right? And building those relationships. And sometimes sometimes they last. Some of my very best friends have come from building a good creative working relationship and then that sort of blossoming and extending beyond projects or beyond studios, uh, you know? And again, this, I, I guess, to keep circling back around to the, the COVID topic, but uh, that's another thing that's tough right now is a lot of a lot of my close relationships do stem from connecting with people as an artist and just the nature of our work is I was connecting with a lot of people in person in a studio, right? And I think that it's harder now for me to connect with people than it was in the past because when I hop on a, a Zoom call with someone, it's just not the same as no. sitting down beside someone at their desk, right? There's always yeah. an agenda and there is a timer that is ticking and there's a calendar invite and there's this whole structure to it um, that I think that the formality of it makes it very hard to have those informal interactions that do sometimes lead to really exciting things, be it things that filter into a project or exciting in just in terms of relationship building. Uh, and it's something, honestly, I'm really curious to see how that evolves, because I do think that to some degree, remote work is here to stay. You know, there are going to for sure be studios that are back full time in house or largely in house, but there are going to be other other teams and other projects that will stay remote. And I do think that figuring out how to build or maintain the, the human side of things is like a, a new challenge that um, projects and teams and companies haven't really had to deal with before uh it was kind of a, a get for free right when everyone was showing up yeah. and you know in the same space together so i'm curious to see how that's going to evolve i agree and I, I really relate to what you just said about the human connection man that's been i i think I've, i'm okay you know i'm okay without it but i i can tell that i i do miss the times 
genuinely miss the times when I could like the coworkers were like just closer connections. And I think part of the issues that also are, I find that our industry, unfortunately, sometimes is so schedule driven that. You know, sometimes even if you want to chat in a meeting with someone, have a conversation, there's always going to be like, hey, guys, we got to get this done. Yeah. Someone's going to another meeting in five minutes. And so right. sometimes you try to like chat, but, you know, it's not on the schedule. You don't have to hang out and <laughs> talk to yeah. people. It's and, tricky. Yeah. Uh, I don't know how, how things are where you are. You say you're in Montreal, right? Yeah. Yeah. So here in Toronto, another thing that has happened is throughout the last two years, because the cost of living in Toronto is so high, so many people have moved away, you know? So even though things are starting to open back up here, a lot of my friends who, even if we are, were all still in the same studios and going back to the same workplace, they wouldn't physically be able to go back because the cost of living didn't make sense to stay in the city anymore when they weren't tied to a desk in a studio somewhere, right? I think that's mm -hmm. another thing that is like, pretty drastically changed the the landscape in, in a bunch of different hubs where, yeah, cost of living has just made it, uh, almost not worth sticking around when you can do the same kind of work from from anywhere and give yourself like a much better quality of life in terms of you know your income versus the cost of living uh so yeah yeah it's it's huge so that's what i think as you're saying it's here to stay so then uh on long term i wonder how we're gonna make up for it because i also find that game and animation industry in general maybe apart from some studios where uh, because contract work it's been relatively cold in that sense as well as what I mean by that is, I wonder if they'll ever put more effort or finance into bringing teams together more as humans, because if you're gonna have someone for a year, they do a job for you and you're gone. I, I felt that, you know, that there was an issue there before, not to say that all studios do it, but you know, some jobs are just that, you get in, get out. And unfortunately, uh, what I'm seeing, for example, uh, my wife, she works in tech and I, I'm seeing her company put effort into bringing people together. And that means sometimes flying people together to, you know, for let's say a week somewhere, but that's a lot of money. And while yeah. I know tech probably has more money than animation, maybe not, I don't know, but uh, those things are possible. And I think that's where team building comes. I mean, you could argue if the company is not paying for a building anymore, that money right. could potentially go to bring people together. Probably, you know, it may not, that, that's maybe too optimistic, but that would be, you know, it would be a yeah. start. Yeah, I would love to see stuff like that. When when we wrapped up on Jet, we actually we met up in Montreal. It was the first time I had met in person anyone anyone from that team. Is yeah, the right around our, the launch, about about ten of us got together for for a weekend in Montreal, and it was great. Um, and I do feel like on that project, don't get me wrong, I do feel like I've made real, genuine human connections. And some of those people, I think I will remain friends with. So it did give me hope that it's not impossible because there have been other projects that I've worked on during during COVID. Um, and I think I've been on three projects now that have gone from start to finish entirely during the pandemic. Um, so fully remote beginning to end and other ones, they were great, but I just, you know, failed to connect on a human level with mm -hmm. some of the people on the team, right? And I don't think it's hard to say. I don't think that that had any obvious impact on on the projects and um, some of the projects actually I'm very, very excited for and I can't wait for them to get out because I have <laughs> been lucky to work on some really cool things the past couple of years. But yeah, the dynamic is just so, so different than what I'm than what I'm used to. And like I said, I, we did manage on Jet at the end to get together. Like you're saying, we had like a little company hangout and it, yeah, it was a real treat. Um, but I think that 
it is expensive and i think especially more business-minded studios or studios where the margins are tight you know like you're saying there's a lot of service work where you are there's a lot of service work here the finances of that you know it is tight and Mm I, I'm always hopeful that there's room for those sorts of things, but oh, sorry, my dog is going crazy. Um, um, but you never know, right? Uh, and so I think that if there was some way to show that that part of the process was beneficial to the end result, companies probably would be more interested in investing in it, but it's really hard to quantify the impact of a human relation on the, <laughs> the final result of a project, right? There's no way to put that in a spreadsheet, I don't think. It's very hard. I mean, because that's like thinking of longevity, but also I think that's thinking of longevity as a of industry as a whole. Just because you know, uh, if you if animators, let's say, are moving around between multiple studios, um, it's hard for a studio to also on their side to invest in someone where they when they don't feel like maybe there's no allegiance. But that's because the projects work that way, right? So it, it in some ways it has to be like a very wholesome. Um, uh, it's like ch- charitable, <laughs> yeah. really, in a, in a way, right? Because, like you said, the animation margins are tight. It's, uh, I mean, at least compared to maybe other industries, you see companies close. It's clear that you know not all of them are swimming in money. Maybe some are. I don't know, but it, uh, it makes a challenge. And also, I have to say to the, on this topic is that I do also like remote work for some aspects. For example, I I felt very lucky that I uh, this winter I got to work out of. Portugal for a couple of months and I thought you know I, I uh, definitely couldn't do that out of the office so you mean you were in Portugal doing your work or you were working for a Portuguese company no so I was still working for digital dimension was where where I'm at but they're cool with me taking two and a half months and so I just we lived in Lisbon and we oh that's amazing work from there and I, I thought that as an experience is uh potentially like invaluable so I think you know there's maybe I mean that as a human to grow that gave me a lot, I mean, they gave me a lot of growth and happiness. So maybe when we're talking about remote work on a grand scale of things, if you can bring people together or if you can, there's opportunities to grow. I mean, I guess, I, I suppose like if studios allow that, that hopefully there is a person can choose a way for them to flourish on a personal level while working for a company, right? Um, so that, in that sense, I also don't just want to go back into the office also. Yeah, I, I think I'm with you in that the pros probably do outweigh the cons. I, I haven't done what you're describing, but I'm optimistic and excited to be able to do that. I'm I'm coming onto a new project right now, which I think is gonna be pretty long-term and I think is gonna be a full-time thing for me. And it, by the sounds of it, they're gonna be open to letting me do that sort of thing. And I'm, I'm really excited because yeah, prior to all this, I was really tied to Toronto in the studio that I was working at, you know, Monday to Friday, nine to five at my desk. And I didn't have a problem with it, but if someone had said, oh, you can go and spend a month in Tokyo or Paris or wherever. And as long as you're showing up for your meetings, that's fine. I for sure would have done that. Right. And so Mm -hmm. I'm, yeah, I'm very excited for the potential of that in the future for sure. When you started a jet uh, on jet, uh, that project, and when you knew that your team was all over the world, is that something you considered then or was it not as realistic? Uh, you know, it's, it's interesting. I, around that time, had applied to an artist residency in Tokyo, which would have been a two month residency from uh, January to March, the year that COVID hit. So 
in a way I kind of lucked out in that I didn't do that because my intent when I applied for that was to go and live and work in Tokyo for two months and just like enjoy the city and make art. And I think had a global pandemic broke out <laughs> while I was doing Oof. that, it would not have been the no. sort of no. like laid back artist retreat that I was was hoping it was going to be. Um, but yeah, to, to so that kind of does answer your question though. It was mm -hmm. maybe not specifically for Jet, but for my lifestyle for sure. You know, I am, um, I think Toronto is, is home for me. I'm not in a rush to leave anytime soon. I've had a few friends moved to LA recently and they keep kind of poking and prodding and saying, when, when are you coming? When are you coming? And I, I'm excited to go down and visit them, but I, I, for now anyways, love Toronto and I'm not in a rush to leave, but the flexibility of, you know, like a temporary relocation while working is yeah super appealing to me. So I think that the, the plan to do it back then when I applied to this residency and then COVID happened, I think just like a lot of other people, a lot of things in my life, the, the pause button just got pushed. But I feel like this year sometime, maybe not right now, you know, I don't, I, I guess we've been talking a lot like it is over. And I think in the media, <laughs> yeah. there are a lot of people saying it is over. I think we're still kind of, it's it's still here though, right? Oh, yeah. It's, it's oh, yeah. you know, and so I, I need to feel it out. But um, I don't know, I, I, I also need to be optimistic about it. Because I, if I imagine my life <laughs> happening in this one room for until I'm old and gray, I will go crazy, right? So I, <laughs> I have to tell myself in six months or this time next year, I will be, you know, with my laptop on a beach painting and, you know, yeah. it gets me up in the morning, so. For sure. And I, I mean, I hope there's, you know, open and responsible ways of doing it. And so mm -hmm. I, I, just like yourself, uh, even if it's a healthy illusion, <laughs> or whatever I, I i'd maintain it but uh, seeing uh some of my friends and even you were mentioning your friends being in la i think i'm i'm optimistic for a bright future that you know we take some lessons that we learned from working through COVID and how we can bring them forward um i think it'll be very cool um man i have yeah, I, too many too many questions for you i, I wanted to ask uh, while we touched upon uh our direction i wanted to ask how, how do you see like what kind of art director are you? How do you see yourself? And uh, on top of that, I also want to know what has been uh, one of the kind of exciting things that maybe you learned recently that was uh, some, you know, a discovery about self or the job itself uh, in the last couple of years. Yeah. So in terms of what kind of art director I am, this is an easy one and it does feed back into what we were talking about before in terms of like how I, how I choose to present my art. Part of it is that when people come to me and I've been offered art director jobs, usually it is for that reason that people have seen my work um, or they've worked with me and know what I'm able to do. And so often you get asked to do the things that people are familiar with, right? So if you scroll through my Instagram, you're gonna see a lot of emphasis on environments and a lot of emphasis on colors. So I think that as an art director, usually that is the, the role that if someone is like, oh, we need an art director who specializes in those sorts of thing, if it's a project that is gonna be pretty dependent on, yeah, a lot of, uh, moody atmosphere or lighting or there's going to be a heavy emphasis on environment as character and storytelling through environment typically those are the the types of clients that i end up working with as opposed to someone who might be more character centric right but mm -hmm. i think the reality of it is that once you start doing the work you kind of have to do a little bit of everything and my my goal or ambition whenever i'm art directing and this you know maybe doesn't always the pieces don't always align exactly how you'd imagine them, but really I, I like to look at the, the strengths and weaknesses of a project and just do my best to fill in the gaps, right? I think that um, 
I like to be as hands off as possible when I can be, you know, if something's not broken, I don't want to try and fix it. So if there is a really strong design team, I am happy to just let them do their thing and give thumbs up and <laughs> feedback when necessary, but I don't need yep. to be super, super hands on. Um, I, I do think that the most common thing I find myself doing is, especially on teams that are bigger, um, there's always going to be things that are going to benefit uh, from a cross-disciplinary mix where if you have everything segmented out into departments like you usually need to do on a big project, mm -hmm. but you have a specific asset or idea that requires a whole bunch of those different areas to overlap, I find that it's... Uh, it's nice to be the glue as the art director, you know, to like yep. Yep. connect those wires and build those bridges so that the, the people who are kind of by necessity or happenstance siloed away doing their thing are able to do their best work and kind of not have to worry too much about the, the bits that have to be handled elsewhere. And I'm happy to help with that, you know, be it being a liaison between two different artists to connect them or just like saying, oh, this is a thing that it would take people from four different departments to do but I could just do the whole task on my own and save the headache of trying to like you know schedule all those meetings and drop all of those uh notes to connect everything together um so that's another thing that I find myself doing a lot but yeah really it, it kind of does just come down to figuring out where where there are gaps and, and doing my best to fill them um mm -hmm. yeah I think that's that's kind of it and every project is going to have its own strengths and weaknesses depending on its team right and so it, it takes some time to learn how things are stronger and weaker in areas and then where where you fit in but yeah i think once you're settled into a project it becomes apparent and and part of your just day-to-day -day routine mm -hmm. and uh any any big discoveries over the last year or two while art directing like is there anything that you, you can kind of think uh, of like wow how did i not know that or something like that i think um sort of tangential to that is so when i was working on jet that project had been in development for quite a while before I came on. And the, the creator, creative director of that project, he was also the creator of Swords and Sorcery. So in his own right is an exceptionally talented art director, right? Like he comes mm -hmm. from a visual background and that has been a big part of his career and his trajectory to this day. He's still doing a lot of visual art. And um, so I think working with him was inspiring for me because there were a lot of times when he was able to really push me in terms of like helping my work level up inside sort of the umbrella of the potential of what that world is. And I think that um, you've probably had this experience as well, but some projects, when you come on as an art director, there isn't someone there with a the creative vision and it's your responsibility to sort of like step up and take the reins and do your best to make sure that there is a vision for it aesthetically. And then there are other projects where there is a very well-established look and feel, and it's your job to maintain it. And then there's kind of a spectrum in between. And I would say mm -hmm. Jet was probably the furthest on that spectrum to there is something great here already. Just do your best to maintain it for me when I came on. You know, I feel like the, the bones were so sturdy. Um, and if anything, it sort of re reaffirmed my opinion that you don't need to, like, you don't need to overwork something if it's already in a good spot. There were so many things on that project where when I came on, they were already great. And I just, I don't know, I I feel like 
it can be easy to sort of let your ego weigh in on things and want to change it or make it your own but ultimately like if something is good just let it be good and oftentimes if you let something go it will flourish and turn out great and it is Mm -hmm. very easy to see if somehow things get off off track you can kind of nudge them back on but especially my first couple times art directing that was very very hard for me you know i i think um I just really didn't want to let anyone down, you know. I wanted to show everyone mm-hmm. that I could do a really good job, so I was like I was really really pushing myself and I think maybe to the detriment of my my well-being. I was I was burning myself out because I was going so hard in terms of like, oh, I I can't let a single ball drop, you know. I have to spin every single plate and everything has to be just so. And I think once you sort of like step back, I anyways was surprised at how well um things are able to continue on without you like dealing with the minutiae of every little detail and my work has grown and the projects I've been on have I think in my opinion gotten better the more I'm willing to let them let them breathe and just like like I said fill in where is needed and in other areas sort of like let them be great and cheerlead for them and that's that's kind of it Mm -hmm. I I think that's especially or mostly mainly possible when you got a strong team right when you when you got those voices that can shine and you can make sure that they kind of don't stray towards paths that don't align for all of them to go together but mm-hmm. and and i guess that that, that is true uh, that's, <laughs> that's another dream where if you know you got uh, you got strong people in your project and kind people and you uh, yeah you just, it's i don't know if the word is or- orchestrate but you just you just make sure that everyone kind of heads along and you know in person modeling is looking at a person designer rigging and they kind of line up because like you said they can be segmented that that is cool to learn and uh, like Yeah, I'm I'm learning so much and even like listening to you it's so fascinating just because as you said every project is going to be so different it's hard to apply a rule to it but it is you kind of know the the undergoing currents that will always kind of you'll need to follow to make sure that something goes well I am on the on the flip side of that uh, so Mm -hmm. in in I spent most of 2020 working on a a Netflix project that I I think is going to be out this year and the production designer on that project was um, someone whose work I had admired for a, a very long time, but I, we had never connected, never spoke. And he reached out and asked if I was interested in contributing to this to this project that he had at, at Netflix. And I was as close to Starstruck as I get. And I was very, <laughs> very intimidated. But um, when I came onto the project, I can't remember being on a project where as someone in a viz dev role i had been given as much freedom as i was given on that project he was happy to just let me come on and and do my thing and he gave me exceptionally good direction and feedback but i felt the whole time that he was just there to be enthusiastic about what i was making and when i look back on the work that i did on that project i really do feel like it's some of the best work that i've ever done and so for me it was reaffirming in that when i'm in that role it only behooves everyone to, to give people the the trust that you know they've earned um and it, like you said it, it it for sure depends on the team right if it's someone's first job then mm-hmm. i think it is your responsibility to be a mentor and to be hands-on and to help them gain the skills that they're going to need and there are some people who really do benefit from you know giving them a lot of drawovers a lot of paintovers a lot of notes and just being like very constructive in the process but if you have someone who is able you know they're able to do the work letting them do that they're going to be excited about it they're going to invest themselves they're going to do great things right if you bring someone on mm-hmm. and you're confident in them then yeah let let them do their thing uh and yeah like i say it was nice to be on the other side of that and have someone do that for me and then 
I feel like I didn't drop the ball. When I look back on that stuff, we'll see when the project is out, if it looks good. I think it will. Um, and I, yeah, like I say, I was excited about it when I was when I was doing it. It was nice to have to have that space. Man, I, I, uh, I can't wait to see them come out. I, I'm, it makes me happy to hear you talk uh, so uh, kind of uh, proudly and so optimistically about the work you've done. Uh, I think that not only shows this potentially the state of the animation world, as you mentioned earlier, how I think the work we get to do is hopefully uh, get to be more interesting and more aligning with our interests. Uh, because as you said, you know, not, nothing wrong with, uh, you know, sometimes preschool animation, but sometimes it can put you, uh, like, I think the, the constraints sometimes are too great for uh, when it comes to creating uh, creative artistic work. And, you know, again, not to say that it's wrong, but uh, knowing the kind of work that you make and the kind of work you're excited for, I can't wait to see what those things are. And it, it makes me kind of optimistic for, I don't know, hopefully for all these projects that are about to come out, following up all the... Uh, boundary pushing project that we've seen whether it's uh, death love and robots or whether it's spider-verse or i don't know yeah. uh, a, a number arcane was really good arcane exactly yeah yeah did you see um i lost my body yes yes yeah that's another one that one for me was like a, a real eye-opener i watched it a few times um it gets me so so excited about the potential of the medium. I think that finally, you know, there's there's still a long way to go, but I think finally there have been a few things that have, they've cleared the gap, right? They've proven yeah. like unequivoc unequivocally, it, ca it can be done and it can be new and it can be fresh and it can be successful both commercially and critically, right? So even the people out there who are signing the checks at the end of the day, um, they're gonna have to start paying attention to what is going on right and i i think that yeah there's there's a way to go still in terms of convincing people from the outside but i think internally there are so many people working in this industry who are hungry to work on projects like that and i don't know a better formula for making great work than getting a bunch of people who are really really enthusiastic <laughs> about doing that kind of work together and giving them a little bit of freedom right and I, yeah the last couple of years i think people have been able to do it like you mentioned spider-verse uh what an achievement right like what a yeah. all-around beautiful movie the the story the art everything about it is exceptional and i don't know i'm i'm hyped for whatever that team does next and not only that but what continues to happen because of it mitchell's in the machines was also oh, really yes. good you know yes. same kind of thing where there's like a really strong voice there and a, a you know a unique story and yeah I'm, I, I can't wait to see what's going to come out the next few years and I think games are the same, right? I think games have really evolved a lot. And maybe that's because that's the work I'm doing primarily right now. My focus is in that direction. But I, yeah, I'm really excited for a lot of things I'm seeing coming out in games. Uh, I think that maybe, yeah, there's like, uh, there is some overlap in terms of audience. But I think um, for a while, games, not so much now, but for a long time, were a more niche thing and out of the spotlight. So they were doing some, some weirder things that I think wouldn't have been able to been green light green lit if it was like an animated project and because of that there's some history and dna in the world of games that has uh, lived on and influenced modern things that i think is going to continue to lead to yeah really unique and exciting things but now for for bigger projects um with bigger teams and bigger budgets and you know like a scope that is befitting of the the creative energy behind the projects mm -hmm. yeah and Actually, it's interesting what you, since you touched upon games and the interesting things that have been coming out, I think for a while, not at the beginning, because I grew up on like Diablo and Starcraft and Warcraft. That was like my childhood. And so yeah. like I loved all that stuff. But uh, speaking recently with a friend of mine talking about, um, you know, looking at game work or animation work, what I like about animation is the story driven decisions. So, 
even if you're doing a story about knights, you're not going to design kind of, you know, 20 sets of armor. You're going to design one or whatever, but it's because the story and the, this character's past says so. And for a little bit, I remember thinking, like, I don't know if I want to go back to games because uh, I don't want to have to make 20 sets of armor just because right. that's kind of what the requirement is. But, you know, I realized that um, not all projects are like that. And I think what excites me about you know the projects you've worked on and you know many interesting games that out there i remember playing inside I, I you know there's a lot but i i love that because a lot more games and maybe they've been doing it for a while but uh, it, it's standing out that a lot more games are becoming story driven and that means the design choices and artistic choices are not just kind of you know here's 20 swords but it's like actually decisions design decisions are matter because it's there's meaning behind them and i to me that kind of opens my mind more towards, you know, if one day something happens with games, I'll be open to it because, you know, if there's projects like that. Yeah, I, for, I totally agree. And I think for me also having having agency in a game really changes how I emotionally invest myself. You know, like I think that there are so many things where if I'm to watch it happen in a TV show versus having to like use a controller and cause that same thing to happen. It is just different in my brain, yeah, right? The way yeah. I experience those things. And so, um, yeah, I think that like you're saying, there are so many cool story driven games coming out lately and the ability to feel like you have some say in it, even if it's completely illusion, right? Like most games that are story driven games, it is kind of smoke yeah. and mirrors that all they need <laughs> to do though, like I am fine to suspend my disbelief, right? If they can convince me that I'm, that I made the choice, then that's all I ask, right? Whether or not I did make a choice, you know, maybe it would have played itself out the same way, no matter what, as long as I don't see it, obviously when I'm interacting with it and I feel like, oh, I saved that person or, oh, I didn't save that person. I'm going to emotionally react to that in a way that I wouldn't if some random person saved another random person in a TV show, right? And I don't know that it's better or worse, but I definitely have a different set of feelings that come from those experiences than I do when I'm uh, consuming a more passive medium. Yeah. And I do find that the good games with really good writing, they'll they'll make you make the choices they want you to make and you won't even know it. Like, Absolutely. I think or and then you got the I don't know if you played The Last of Us too. Or they'll make okay. you question question your choices, right? And that's to me that's where that medium elevated itself from you know movies or shows. Like I think uh, playing Last of Us, especially two, I think it's you realize how strong that medium is because of you find yourself in the situations where you know you got to keep going, but you question yourself and you question the choices that are happening in the story. It was a is a uh, what wonderful writing that. What cool, yeah. uh, cool writing I think idea. I played both of the Last of Us games, and I think they're exceptional. They are so, so good. Um, yeah, they had a huge impact on me while I was playing them. And like you're saying, the writing, it's really, really next level. Um, I think that there are moments in both of those games where I had to, like, stop and pause because I, <laughs> I knew what was coming. I think that's yeah. maybe part of, part of the, like, blessing and curse of those games is really, like, it's not you you're playing a predetermined story right like yeah, what's yeah. going to happen is going to happen no matter what and there are moments where you know what is going to happen and whether or not you want it and there are times yeah. when you really don't want it to happen yeah. but you have to be there and present and sometimes engage with that part of the story right and it, yeah i don't even know what to compare that to i i think last of us in particular the second one there are points in that game where i haven't had those feelings from any other kind of media right and i i yeah. know that that game was quite divisive when it came out you know there was a lot of pushback 
Um, but I don't know. I think that anything that can offer me an experience I've I've never had before, and not all the, all of those feelings are good, but I don't necessarily want all media to make me feel great all the time. You know, like if I read a Cormac McCarthy novel, I don't expect to feel great by the time yeah. I'm done it. Right. I'm I'm going there for a certain thing. And um, yeah, Last of Us 2 is definitely a, a certain unique thing for sure. Um, I, I think that's, that's exciting. And I think that's exactly why it's divisive. And I think that's exactly why it, it is probably so great. I mean, just think about making something that something that people have such strong reactions to on both sides. I, I think that's probably another aspect of why it, it is so good. And I mean, it's writing, but also, you know, every every team on that project did a great job to for it to become the piece that it did. And I think knowing how hard it is to make these things, again, makes it even more <laughs> impressive that yeah. something like that was done. And it's uh, in some ways, uh, maybe it's true if it's a golden age of uh, games and animation and media. I think one of the nice things about the place we're at right now with um, all different forms of creative media is that um, you're able to make things for a niche audience now in a way that you wouldn't have been able to even five or ten years ago, right? And I think that maybe things like The Last of Us are a bit of an exception where I'm sure that game cost literally hundreds of millions of dollars to make, right? And for something like that, there is like a minimum threshold you're going to need to do in terms of like return on investment, you know, but there are a lot of projects that they're just like, they're not for everyone and, and that's okay. And for a long time, that was just not an option, right? Like you had to make a thing and it had to be hugely successful, be it a, a movie or a TV show or a video game. There was like a, a very high bar that had to be cleared. Um, mm -hmm. Whereas now you can like, I love indie games, you know, there's like a huge market for these small games made with, you know, Jet was a relatively small team, but even then there are games that like, you know, two, three, sometimes one person will make a game and it becomes a huge hit and finds an audience or it doesn't even become like a huge multi-million seller, but, you know, maybe it finds an audience of 50,000 people, but because two people made it, it is still a success for them. And maybe those 50,000 people, it's one of their all-timers, you know, and that's an exciting yeah. thing. It gives people the opportunity to make things that when there wasn't a way to reach people like there is now, there just wouldn't have been a way to produce those things, right? And I don't know, I hope that it, the way that that has worked in games, I wish there was more of that in in other fields. I feel like yeah. even though we're making progress in animation, there is still a long way to go in that regard where there is uh, like a lot of very specific demographics that are aimed for. And I think there is an audience out there saying, hey, we would like these other things. And like we were just saying, it's getting, it's getting better. But I think that games are kind of on the vanguard of that right now, where there yeah. is stuff really for everyone all the time. And yeah, I hope that other, other forms of media start to catch up a little bit because there's so much potential. It's just, I think just to make animation well, it's so expensive. You know, mm -hmm. To me, like I'm a, I, I, I was going to say a big fan, but I guess a big admirer. I don't know. Like, Alberto Mielgo is a rock star in our industry for a reason. And, you know, of seeing course. what he's accomplished. But, you know, he's a he's a freak in a way that not every person can work probably whatever those 10, 12-hour days on something with that much passion and to that level of quality. You know, uh, just the quality alone. But anyways, but I, I just think animation to do well. You know, there's plenty of probably YouTube channels where people make cool stuff. But I think that our uh, as an audience our sensibilities for what is good is probably so developed that unfortunately there's probably good writing out there that doesn't get our eye or attention just because the quality is not there and we're 
inevitably comparing it to Spider-Verse when you see something, whether you know it or not, right? Absolutely, um, yeah. And I think that's where a strong style in our direction comes in to save a project where I think you can do something simple and very appealing and, you know, be probably uh, cost efficient and tell that story. Yeah, I mean, not to bring it back around to what I was saying before, uh, mm-hmm. I Lost My Body, I think, is a great example of that. I, I found that film to be beautiful, and it was like, budget-wise, from what I understand, relatively cheap to make, right? And mm-hmm. I think that a big part of it is I, I would imagine there were a couple strong creative voices who were really pushing a vision, right? And I'm, yep. I'm kind of like torn on the idea of... Uh, auteur creative creativity in general especially when it comes to filmmaking because it really does take a whole bunch of people who are all great to make something really good um but there is there is a sliding scale in there right and if you have a smaller team and a smaller budget but that team does have like a a really particular intent and idea and they're able to stick with it then there is the potential to capitalize on something that might not be as uh, vast as, and expensive and slick as Spider-Verse, but still like in terms of just like purity of art direction, be just just as good, right? And yeah, I, mm-hmm. I hope that there's more of that sort of thing that comes out. And I'm sure there will be. I, I guess I'm just like, uh, I'm impatient because we've had a taste of it and I, and I totally. want more. Um, yeah, yeah, and then I also want more of the giant expensive stuff. Like Arcane was just like <laughs> a, a six hour insane feast for my eyes. Like every every frame of that show is a painting, right? Um, Dude, yeah, Netflix sucks at pausing because I wanted to pause so many times, but it like puts an overlay and I'm like, what are you guys right. doing? And you yeah. can't take a screenshot. It just, uh, yeah, yeah. All right, so I got I got a, uh, too many questions, but I got to switch it to the short. So let me sure, do yeah, a little please. overview of this conversation. So it's interesting that you mentioned that Jet, you came in and the look was... Uh, more established in other projects, but I think that's a really good sign that they found the right person to help our director because uh, when I saw it, I saw you in it and it's, you know, maybe there's a combination of uh, the other creative director, but it's cool that whether you're able to imprint on it or whether they aligned with your taste and desires and styles, I think that's so cool and I hope more of these things uh, happen out there. I like that earlier when I asked you about, um, I guess, about you, you having a unique voice and you touched upon style and I, I'm always kind of cautious to use the word style because sometimes I think it's the connotation can be wrong. And I think it's because, like you said, so many people ask, like, how do I look for my style? And yeah. sometimes the way the question is posed so, sounds uh, wrong. It's like the wrong goal to seek. And, I, and you know, to bring it back to your answer, I, I really love when you're saying that when maybe the growth did happen is when you, you know, stopped caring about certain aspects and just kind of went for you. And that's why... When I gave you that, uh, when, I, when I mentioned like seeing you and your work, to me, it's not even just a skill set. I think it's because what you draw, and that means, uh, again, you let go of potential preconceived notions and you just kind of maybe started doing art truly for yourself or how you like it, which is so incredibly hard. And I'm sure everyone struggles with it to let go of all the kind of weight around you and to truly not care. It's very difficult. Um, Anyways, and so to kind of to, to do this whole whole uh, kind of preamble and seeing you and your work, uh, when I saw Space Between Stars, I think I must have been like looking at Guru or something like that, and I saw it, and it was crazy because like, you know, I think Guru makes um, kids animation. I remember, anyways, I remember seeing this, and I had to like look up who the art director was because it was this ten minute, eleven minute epic, um, and. What stood out is that uh, the visuals are so strong, which I find in animation so hard to do non-diluted visuals that make a stance and you're using a lot of graphic shapes. And anyways, that 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 one blew me away. So 
Uh, I mean, a lot of questions about that one, but maybe how I want to get it started is um, how did the, you know, I I know you directed and art directed it. So maybe how did the pitch sound for um, this short? Maybe like how would you pitch it to maybe if you could tell to the audience or something like that, uh, maybe a, a snippet of what this project is and how it came around. Yeah, so how it came around was um, it was partly just being in the right place at the right time for myself. I had just was on the tail end of art directing a, a TV series at Guru, and they were, I think, like everyone, excited about the potential for where animation is going, and they decided that they wanted to uh, make a short in-house to show this is like so much talent was at the studio and a lot of the work was service and the in-house work um, had a, I don't know if they would be happy for me to say a house style, but there was sort of like a look to their properties. And, and I think that there were a lot of people who were excited to show that they were capable of sort of expand, expanding beyond what that preconceived box was. And so, yeah, the studio was looking to create a short film and they opened the floor for pitches internally. And uh, a friend of mine who was working with the development team really encouraged me to pitch an idea. And so it was like kind of kind of spur of the moment, but kind of like had a very long tail. I had an eye. I've got this like folder in my Google Drive where constantly I'm saving little snippets of story ideas or little sketches that have the potential to go somewhere. So yeah, they they had encouraged me to maybe pitch something. And so I spent a weekend going through this folder of old ideas and I found one, I actually found two. I pitched two different ideas that were both in there that I thought might sort of satisfy this idea of making something that would be like visually uh, a good example of the potential of the studio and also be something that I would be very invested in helping make and express sort of some things that I wanted to say uh, with animation. And yeah, I went through this process of pitching internally and it took a few months, but eventually they decided that the the film was like the right fit for this this short film project that they were trying to get off the ground. And so they greenlit it and I spent yeah, a little over a year working full time on that. And during production, I had a I had a small team um, still to this day, like endlessly thankful to that team. I like some of my best art pals worked on it and the talent was unreal. I, w- I was very, very lucky with some of the people I got to work with. Um, yeah. And then after that, we did like the, the festival circuit um, through most of I want to say most of 2018. I think we did like we we're over 40 festivals so it got to screen all over the world which is really cool so there's a, for wow. the I, I would encourage anyone who's listening if you're especially if you're in canada it's on uh the cbc website maybe we can put a link in the show so yeah, people can sure. maybe push pause and watch it but there's uh, for the people who can't watch it there's no dialogue uh like uh, we were saying it is a very visually driven thing right and so mm-hmm. i think maybe part of the reason i was able to go that way uh and sell the idea is because of my background doing pre-production work, I was able to, I think, build confidence that the visuals would support this idea that I had. So once I had an idea that people could like get their get their hooks into, at that point, the visuals were sort of just icing on the cake. And so when I was storyboarding it, um, mm-hmm. honestly, the storyboarding process was maybe more akin to what you would imagine writing to be right because there was like a a pitch document that sort of outlined the narrative arc 
Um, but to see it visually through my lens, I think maybe was a big part of what helped me sell the idea, right? Because I could say, oh, there's going to be these glowing little creatures and this sort of intimidating robot and it's in this sort of mysterious science fiction environment and you can say that and people sort of visualize things but then you know i make some paintings and draw some storyboards that actually start to show that as a film and communicate emotion and then i think that's when people got really excited that was a yeah i think what pushed it over the the line for getting it for getting a greenlit that's really cool i i i I'm just so happy that something like this got made and the fact of how long it is and the quality you were able to uh, take it to. Um, when you when you started it out and you had your initial idea or maybe, and also when you finished it, what did you overall want the audience to take away from watching it? What were you hoping for they would take away from this? Hmm, and, yeah, and, so. And maybe like, spoiler alert, go watch this and come back. The link will be below. <laughs> yeah, I think that there was... Um a pretty specific feeling that I wanted to communicate to the audience. Uh, and I think that a big part of that had come from this like slow, long process of discovering what it was that I was excited about in my art. And this kind of takes us all the way back to the, the top of this conversation where, you know, I was saying I was taking long walks and letting ideas ruminate and drawing and painting things to capture certain feelings. And then I realized the things that I liked in my art the most were those things, right? Like there was, a period where I was hyper focused on draftsmanship, making beautiful images or trying to make beautiful images, rendering technique. And then eventually I, yeah, I lost some of my interest in that. And it was really about communicating feelings either to myself or to other people through my art. And um, there was a really specific thing that I wanted to communicate with this film in that vein. I wanted to try and make people feel a certain thing that was inside me. And um, what that was, it came from a, a couple of different sources. Um, uh, a really close friend of mine at the time, he had um, just had a had a birthday and I made him a little watercolor painting. Um, and it was this little glowing sprite. And it was sort of like, uh, like this, this friend of mine, he just has like a really positive spirit and good energy about him. And so I tried to like capture that feeling um, in, a, in a painting and I gave it to him and I painted it at like 10 p.m. the night before his birthday and I gave it to him first thing in the morning. <laughs> so that painting I have only ever seen for like two or three hours of my life and he has had it this whole time. So it's yeah. more just an idea in my head than anything else. But I, what I remember of that image was just this sort of like like pure and positive being of light and energy. Um, and then I had also read uh, a French graphic novel called um, Beautiful Darkness, which I would highly recommend if, if you haven't read it or for anyone listening who hasn't read it. It's this, um, yeah, it's a, a, a French graphic novel by um, this illustrator duo named Karaskoet. And I, I don't really want to spoil the story. So all I'll say is that it's uh, an exceptionally beautiful book, but the story goes two places that you wouldn't expect. It goes to a pretty dark place. And I was like, I was pretty shocked when I read that. And it, it really stuck with me, the sort of juxtaposition of something on the surface being very beautiful and then subverting your expectations just because I think it's human nature to project uh, feeling and emotion onto things you perceive as beautiful. And that was something that I really liked. And so, yeah, when it came time, to, to pitch this film, I had these two different things that were both sort of floating around in my head. And then it was, yeah, one random walk one day, I connected them together and I wrote that down in a Google Doc. I was like, oh, wouldn't it be cool to have something that, you know, 
has the sort of like visual and aesthetic level of beauty that I made in this little painting for my friend. But narratively, if you pulled that back and it was something very different than the intent of that painting, it was something where, um, yeah, the, the surface level aesthetic is subverted and then hopefully I can evoke this feeling of, um, unexpected surprise and dread and sort of like, uh, like a terrible beauty. Um, and like, since you've seen the film, you kind of understand how this sort of relates to things as it goes along. Right. And so the film itself is really like, it is, it works with a lot of like, uh, visual tropes in terms of light and, and dark and expectations in terms of like delicacy and, uh, rigidity. You know, there are a lot of like very harsh elements and very delicate elements and, I think a lot of those visual cues set an audience up to expect one thing and hopefully where we end up yeah, yeah. is a place that they don't imagine it to go and the sort of like gut punch feeling that that can sometimes evoke in an audience. I love when a film does that for me when I'm watching something and it kind of catches me off guard with a with an unexpected twist or turn, right? Um, and yeah. with a short film, really, you've, you've kind of like, you got one trick to play, right? You play your hand and that's it and you're at the end. You don't have a ton of time, which is like, Partly it's exciting because you can do things you couldn't do over the course of a, a film or a TV show, but it does kind of require that that one trick that you play, it's kind of got to land, right? And so that was yeah. that that was the the bet that I was placing, and I, I pitched to the studio, this is this is the trick, this is the magic trick I want to play. Here are the tools I'm going to use. I think we can pull it off, and thankfully they also were like, yeah, okay, I think we could we could maybe pull this pull this one over on an audience, and so. I don't know from from the response the film received i do think it landed that way for some people and uh, i also think that like i was saying earlier you know some art is not for some people and that's okay and i think this film also is not for some people you know there are some people who i just think that like where it goes is a place they probably don't want it to go um but i tried mm. to make something that i i would be excited about had i experienced it going in blind and there have been people who have responded to it um the way that I had hoped they would. One of the nice things about the film when it came out, since we did have a pretty good festival run, I got to go to a couple and sit in in the theater and there's like, there's nothing quite like that when you sit in a theater and you get to experience people soaking it in for the first yeah. time, you know? And people were gasping at the moments they were supposed to gasp at. And it's, you know, when a friend of mine is like, oh, I liked your film and that part was cool. Of course, they're not lying, but it is through the filter <laughs> of sort of like some social pressure, right? And I was like, ah, but yep. did it land as good as it could? So to sit in a movie theater and have the bits land when I want them to land, it was nice to know that at least a few people out there it connected with the way I hoped it I hoped it would. That's so cool. But and also to me, man, I, the, I watched it again today. I watched it probably like a year ago, well, a while back now. Cool. But I uh, watched it again uh today and yesterday but what struck me is that you're still in a world that's it's not human so there's enough abstraction where you still kind of question it at the end and that's uh you know whether uh, whether intentional but it's it because like you said you there's a trick it happens but you still because it's not grounded in like a you know bipedal or whatever it's not grounded in yeah. human reality you still you you have to make up in your head, which is cool. I love that stories do that too. You have to make up in your head the rules for these creatures in this world to understand even morals. Is there, you know, is there a moral stand? Yeah. Because your human emotion are reacting to you instilling emotions, human emotions onto these creatures, which I thought was so cool. Uh, for that, sure, yeah. There's an intended ambiguity there at the end, yeah. and I like to hear people's thesis, right? Like when I say that there is the sort of subversion of expectations, that's like the climax of the film, but the resolution 
I've had people come down very strongly on one side or the other. You know, they're still rooting for character A or they're rooting for character B um, and they watch the same film. But it's just like, yeah, how you project onto it and what you see. I think uh, there's a lot of room for the viewer to decide there. And that's exciting for me. Um, And, you know, there have been people who have asked you know, sort of what what my opinion is or if there is sort of like a right or wrong or who is the good guy and who is the bad guy. But honestly, at this point, now that the film is out there in the world, I think it is uh, it's really like it belongs to the viewers. And I like that some people will have strong feelings one way or the other and they will, you know, present their argument for one character or the other at the end. That's that's a fun thing. Uh, the fact that you left that shot where they're inside the eye at the end, I think it's uh, t- <laughs> tells me enough. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's wonderful, man. It's uh, it. I just so cool. Uh, what per- percentage? I mean, I, again, got too many questions about this one, but what percentage of uh, the? Actually, no. I'll go. Uh, I want to know this. I was going to go for technical questions, but I think I'm. We well, knew both. If, yeah. Uh, hopefully, we get to all. Yeah, I, I'm just curious. <sighs> Having done this, do you think, uh, you know, having done a short film, do you think this was possible or would be possible if you kind of had your own team potentially without studio backing? Because, again, we talked about animation, expensive, time consuming. And uh, maybe if you can touch upon like how big the team was and uh, for people out there making short films, maybe, I don't know, some of the key things they need and potentially how you could create something. Because 10 minutes is quite a long time, so I understand why. But could someone create something like this, you know, smaller team on your own without a studio backing? Yeah, I I think making short films independently for sure is possible, but I think that it is important to also keep in mind the realities of production, right? And that was another part of making this film where um, had I been making this entirely independently, if I wasn't making this with the studio, I just, this wouldn't have been the film that I wanted to make, right? There were both Mm -hmm. like um, affordances offered to me because I was working in a studio environment and I knew that there would be some studio support. And then there was also limitations in that the studio wasn't willing to have a whole bunch of money uh, invested in this project when it was kind of like a like a proof of concept and a, in terms of like potential for future projects, right? So there was a small investment there in terms of um, artist hours. But yeah, they weren't looking to, something we all agreed on early on, we weren't looking to use this as like a springboard to pitch a bigger project, right? Like one thing Mm -hmm. we didn't want to do is make a short that could one day become a feature or one day become a series, right? And I think that does kind of limit how much you can invest in it, knowing that like there is not like a financial model for short films, right? And so, yeah, there was a top and a bottom, but to come back around to your question about can people do this sort of thing, I I think absolutely. And a a big part of it is like with a project like this, I intentionally played into my strengths, right? And when I said earlier on that I was more interested in expressing feelings with my art than I was in sort of refining technical ability, the only reason I can say that is because I spent a really long time doing the technical thing. And I knew that I could fall back on that with this project, right? Like the things I was scared about, and there were things that I was extremely nervous about as a first time director going onto this project. The one thing I wasn't scared about was being able to like translate the ideas that I had in terms of individuals, in, individuals that people would get excited about, right? That's something that I had done on a bunch of projects prior to this. And so, I planned a project really that would lean on my strengths as a painter and as an art director, right? So that even if that magic trick that I had mentioned didn't land, and even if the ambiguity of the narrative ended up just being a confusing mess, 
there probably still would have been a pretty thing at the end, right? There would have been some nice demo reel shots at the very least, right? And so I think it's sort of being aware of your strengths and weaknesses and playing to them. So, you know, if someone is interested in making a short, I think also understanding what you want to get out of it, right? Like if you're making a short film just for the sake of learning, then there is for sure an argument to be made about like, getting outside of your comfort zone and trying something you've never tried before and, you know, making a 30 second film, maybe you've never animated a character before doing like a 30 second character test, you're going to learn so much versus if you want to make a short film that you're going to submit to festivals and you're going to use as like a, a showpiece for yourself as a director, you're probably going to want to feel pretty confident about at least some elements of it, right? I, I think mm. that there's a sort of a danger as well about not taking any risks, you know, eventually you kind of just have to jump into the deep end and put yourself in a bit of a sink or swim situation if you want to make something that people are going to be excited about. But yeah, to do that without, uh, you know, any kind of like opportunity to save yourself if you, if you start to sink also is maybe not uh, a super wise idea, right? I think there's like <laughs> a, there's like a middle ground there. Um, where you can capitalize on the things that you're good at and you're comfortable with and use those to build off of. Um, and then from there, that's when you get to like uh, scare yourself a little bit, which for me was, yeah, fully directing, right? Like not having yeah. any safety net whatsoever. And then also like being in charge of the story, which I was I was really excited for because I had, you know, written and illustrated comics in the past. Um, so I knew that I um, was able to tell stories in a visual way. And it's something I was really excited to do, but I had never done it for a film in that way before. So in, in some ways it was a very new thing for me and I didn't know how it was gonna go. Um, I think that making a film is a really great experience for people. And I think it's also like a very easy way to find yourself in a bunch of different traps. You know, I think there are a lot of <laughs> things that can go wrong along the way, but I don't think that's a bad thing. You know, like I think that Failing is important, you know, and when we look at space between stars in a bubble and you see this like finished polished film that had, you know, a studio supporting it and a budget and a team and you see this thing, you sort of from there uh, ignore all of the things that I tried and failed or tried and did in a mediocre way before that and the things that I will fail at in the future, right? So it's nice to just be like, oh, look at look at my animated film. Yes, I'm a director. That is, of course, it's great that I made this thing and it came together. But I think failing is, is good, you know? And I think for, for everything that you succeed at, probably you should be failing at three other things. Cause if you're not failing at all, you're not also pushing yourself. Right. And so yeah. it's a, it's a little bit of a tricky question. Cause part of me is like, everyone should try and make a film. And part of me also wants to say, everyone should fail at making a film. Like for transparency's <laughs> sake right now, I have uh, a handful of character designs and a little bit of viz dev and a very mediocre script for another short that may or may not happen one day, you know, and it may end up in my failure folder on my G drive next to the little document that started this film, right? Or maybe it will be my next film five years down the road showing in festivals. I have no way of knowing. Um, but yeah, I would encourage people. And this is like the artist me speaking, you know, take a chance. It's okay if you fail. Um, this is not like the the technical answer to that question. Like there is mm -hmm. like a, oh, if you're going to make a short film, what are, what software do you want to use? And all those things, that's kind of a different <laughs> question. But I think that this is the, honestly, the more important one is like, try it 
and it's okay if it if it doesn't work that's nothing to be ashamed of and i think actually it's better if people are trying things and failing so i if anyone has even like a, a slight interest i always push people yeah give it a try because really you've got nothing to lose and probably so much to learn I didn't Absolutely. want to say it at the start as a compliment, and it is a compliment that in some ways it feels like this film was an excuse to make beautiful visuals. Uh, yeah, I, I, <laughs> I appreciate that. It's it's nice to hear. You know, I've had other people respond to it in that way as well, and I yeah, I wouldn't take it as anything other than a compliment. And honestly, like the look of this film, you know, while I was directing and art directing it, so much of how good it looks, it's like. If you ask me to describe one of my paintings, I'm not going to gush about how good it looks, but I will gush about how good this film looks because the team on it was ex exceptional. Like I had so so many of my close friends working on this and really like giving me way more than I felt I deserved. You know, they like were going way over the top because they wanted to make something great and I'm like will be endlessly thankful uh, forever for all of the hard work that they put in and I have no problem hyping up the look of this film because yeah I was super super lucky in terms of the people I got to work with and I'm, I'm glad that they have this thing as well that I can share with them uh, I feel like uh, it's helped a few of my friends land some pretty cool work you know some people like I said got some good demo reel stuff and thankfully there is a film that I'm not ashamed of that came out at the end but there <laughs> yeah the plus side is there is some great demo reel material for folks in there as well that's so cool um uh, how, where do you where do you go from here? Uh, and you know, it's been a while since you've done a lot of interesting projects. You said you're potentially working out of the short films, but to me, I would imagine doing something like this is quite a milestone. You know, again, this is a big achievement, and it, it also you know first directing and it did great. But does some does making something like this make you want more? Does it make you want to do something? Do you do you feel the need to top yourself? Uh, yeah, so where do you go from I'm, here? I'm trying to let go of the feeling of wanting to top myself. I think that I'm, for a while after this film came out, it was hard not to imagine doing anything other than that. And I don't think that that is healthy. I think even in the, mm -hmm. in the moment, I knew that that was not really the right way to move forward. But it's it's hard, you know, you invest yourself in a project for a very long time and it comes out and, you know, understandably because i do this to other people when they release things one of the first questions people are going to ask is what's next <laughs> right it's like yeah. what what do you mean what's next i just cruel, uh, cruel you know that, yeah um but like i get it because i have i have asked the question myself as well and i know that the reason people it, it, it is a compliment when someone's asking because it means they want more right like if they're not mm -hmm. asking it means they didn't care about the thing you made so like i need to remind myself of that but also i'm just like I need to catch my breath. Hold on before. Um, so yeah, the, what comes after that? It's it's really tricky, right? Like you were saying, making animation, it, it is expensive. And doing something like that film, it's not, it's not an opportunity that will happen to me again. And it is not an opportunity that happens to many people ever, right? Like mm -hmm. I happen to be at a studio who wanted to do this thing at a time when I was ready to pitch and... I had an idea that connected with this uh, very specific thing that they were looking for, thankfully, you know, and and so, and so it worked out. And in, in some ways, it, it definitely helped tilt the trajectory of my career, right? Like I've had opportunities come from that film that wouldn't have come had I not made it. Um, but there isn't, and man, I wish there was, but there is not... Uh, a career path that is creating and directing short films forever, right? <laughs> yeah. I, there's no there's no money to be made in short films. They're 
often passion projects, almost always passion projects with little to no budget, you know, which is kind of kind of what this was. Like there was a, a small budget, but the it, it was built on the, the passion of myself and my team. Ultimately, that's what it came down to, right? A lot of people putting a lot of heart into trying to make something together and for the most part, having a good time together doing it. Um, and I wish there was a way to monetize that. I wish there was a way to say, okay, so this new idea that I have, I'll show you the last film I, I made now, uh, Magical Money Fairy, please bless me and my pals <laughs> so that we can make the, yeah. the, the follow-up that's gonna be even better, right? And yeah. yeah, for short films, it's just, it's it's not out there. So um, I think that if, if, you know, I mentioned that there's this thing that I had sort of like got some early ideas down for, it's actually like, it's much smaller in scope because I just can't count on, yeah, on having any kind of studio or financial backing. There are ways that people do it. You know, every now and then you'll see a successful uh, Kickstarter or something along those lines or an Indiegogo, right? Like some kind of crowdfunding mm -hmm. short film. And yeah, there are studios who usually make these things, but when a studio is doing it, there is like understandably a vested interest from the studio, you know, like they're doing it for a purpose, not to just, stroke the ego of an artist yeah. um you know there is like a a very fair give and take that is in there um so i think it's yeah for me important to be mindful of that if i want to continue doing that kind of work but i think that what i've realized with a little bit of room to breathe from that project and and covid again was a good opportunity for me to be able to step back is just that like you know as much as i would love to make more animated short films it isn't making an animated short film that is my drive or my passion it is the the things that i get out of it along the way you know it sounds cliche but really it is the journey it was working with with great people it was getting to work on art that i felt i could invest myself in you know my heart is in in that film it, it, the film itself narratively it's pretty it's cold you know but i think when people watch it they see that there is a lot of like real art with a capital a on the screen you know there are a mm -hmm. lot of people who you can kind of see the labor in there trying to make something beautiful um and so those are things that i can find in other places you know some of the feelings i had while making that short film i managed to find some of those things on on jed and a little bit even you know it's it's funny the the netflix thing i mentioned earlier which hopefully i, I can talk more about soon even though it was mm -hmm. like a like a big netflix production you know there was a lot of heart going into that and i could see it for myself and some of the other artists on the team they were you know like really going over and above to try and make again make make art you know and so for me it is finding mm -hmm. ways to express myself and to communicate and i think also communicate with an audience right like uh i think when i was younger and maybe part of this is at art school i don't think they really give you an idea or an understanding of the fact that once you're out in the world, someone else is probably going to be telling you what to do all the time. You're not going to be coming up with your own yep. ideas. And then what they're telling you to do, for better or for worse, uh, a big part of that is because it's got to connect w with someone, right? And I think mm -hmm. that like, I was kind of blindsided by that. Not that I didn't understand that, but like how you really are like more of a, a craftsperson than a creative when you come into a lot of different creative industries, right? It is really about like, building a thing rather than saying a thing and yeah i was fortunate enough with that film to be able to try to say something and so i'm i'm hopeful 
that as more people experience it, um, there is a little bit more opportunity for me to continue being able to say things here and there. Um, and hopefully those open more doors to continue doing that down the road, right? It's like, it's hard to do it the first time and hopefully it's a little bit easier the second time and so on and so forth until it's um, uh, like any other opportunity, something that you found found your niche. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so that is what it is. And it's a really amorphous answer. I wish, like I say, I wish the answer was green light no, the second film and no honestly <laughs> yeah th- this was a such a great answer to uh maybe not so good question as we found out but <laughs> i feel uh, as an audience we're so lucky that every once in a while you know things align and the right person gets to make the right project and with the right skills and clearly you're in that situation so again i feel kind of i feel lucky as a i don't know just like you know being part of this uh working in this industry in the medium and it's cool as you say art was a capital a like, just I, I, I again, I, both you and I, I think are lying in the same ways. That hopefully, more of these things come out, and uh, hopefully, yeah, just someone gets to do more, and even whether driving it by themselves or in studio capacity. Um, hopefully, you know, Death Love and Robots does inspire more people to do more potential yeah, projects. That- Maybe there's backing, right? So I hope that that finds its way to monetization that can inspire others. I I was so so excited when I saw that show on Netflix. I ate it up it's so cool and you you know what like it's um i'm also into uh short stories in general it's just something that's always appealed to me i really like short stories i like short comics so short films you know falls right in line with that and in love death and robots you know there are a couple in there that didn't land for me um but then there were a couple that like really really were exceptional like have really stuck with me and i've gone back and rewatched them a couple times and that's so exciting because i know that the ones that didn't land for me those ones are landing for other people right exactly. they're connecting with those and getting really excited about it so yeah I, I from what i understand anyways from the outside uh at least from the the pr spin they put on it that did really well and they're continuing to do more you know i know that they're mm-hmm. they've already announced another batch of episodes are coming and so i hope that it inspires other studios or streaming services to to get on board and keep making that sort of thing because i think there is an audience who is ready to consume that also you know like um the castlevania show was a really cool thing you know Mm -hmm. that like it very anime inspired but western you know it's like it's funny because you look at what the french are doing and what the japanese are doing and they're doing the stuff that all of us over here are saying why can't we do that thing and it's <laughs> it's been proven successful for them for a long time right and so i'm so, glad that finally those doors are opening up over here as well because i think yeah once once people start getting into it uh i can only imagine it growing right i can only exactly. imagine it finding a new audience rather than alienating the people who are excited for it so yeah fingers crossed indeed oh man uh we're close to two hours i think i'll have to wrap it up yeah, that's cool. Uh, with a that's couple of great. questions, so that's okay. Um, sure, yeah. You know, it's funny because when I look at podcast statistics, I think, you know, probably like half the people get to the end. Sometimes I think when they get past an hour and a half, it's a crossover for audience. But at the same time, I'm, uh, whether I'm stubborn, but also, I don't know, I, I feel like there's so much value to get out, especially the longer these go, I find the more you can, you can get to things that are, because I think sometimes you got to get things out of the way with career. For and sure. Very important yeah. things. But then you really, I feel like, I don't know about yourself, the podcast we listen to, I find that you really get to the interesting stuff that kind of, as the conversation flows. Anyway, so for those who are listening, totally stick, stick around with us. I, I appreciate you, and I imagine you're as curious as I am about the <laughs> things, all uh, things animation. So like I said, I, I taking up too much of your time. So I, the way I want to wrap this up is two ways. So I, for people, and again, I'll add a link 
to Sam's website, but I read through your comic that's on there that's called Panic in the Moon. Hmm. And uh, I want to ask a couple of questions about this one. It yeah, really stood sure. out. And I encourage people to uh, read that one. It's, uh, I think, like emotionally heavy message. Uh, and I, I guess to me, the, uh, the main question was how I want to find out is, uh, was it, um, you know, personal moments, real life affecting it, uh, the story? Or how did you come up with that story? Because it, it is very maybe existential, right? But uh, I'm, I'm just curious how, how that came to you and where that came from. I think um, what I was doing with that comic was similar to the film where I was trying to communicate a specific feeling, but I couldn't have told you that when I was making it. I, I don't think I had realized at that point in my journey as an artist that that is what I was trying to do or what I was going to continue to try and do. Um, we uh, So that was published in a book called The Anthology Project. Uh, my, my, my friends and I, we made some some books that were like, yeah, collections of short comics that we released probably like 10 years ago now. They've been, it's been a while. Um, and when we made the book that that one is in, there was like a light theme that wasn't explicitly communicated anywhere um, outwardly on the book itself, but we had mentioned it to all the artists to see if people wanted to like include it in a subtle or more overt way. And the theme was like basically just the idea of like obsessions, you know, and how things, mm. you know, can filter through that lens. And the story is again, one of those things that um, I had had a few sort of like very vague ideas of, feelings and visuals that I wanted to communicate this idea of a moon crashing into the ocean for whatever reason was in my head. Um, and in terms of like, uh, the character relationships, uh, in that story and, and where it goes and where it ends, I, I don't think at the time I could have really articulated what it was that I was trying to say or what the feeling was that I wanted to communicate but when I look back on it I think it is like uh very of its time for my life you know things that I was working through at the time or things that I was feeling at the time when I look at that comic they're very in there for me in a way that I could not at all see at the time when I was making mm -hmm. it and I think that is like very similar but also different than what I was talking about before when I tried to capture specific things and I think a, a lot of people myself included are often saying much more than they realize they're saying themselves mm -hmm. with their work right like if you just sit yeah. down to doodle you know there is like some subconscious element there especially if you're able to like disassociate a little bit and just sort of like freeform it and let things come as they may whether or not they look good or not is besides the point but that comes from somewhere right like you might not be able to front brain consciously articulate where things like that are coming from but they're not coming out of thin air right they're part of you from somewhere and so that comic for sure was part of me from somewhere and at the time i couldn't have told you where but yeah when i look back on it i'm like ah of course this makes sense for this this time in my life um mm -hmm. yeah and i i uh, that comic i have a lot of really fond feelings for honestly it was a great time in my life i working with my friends on that book was such a great experience and we were traveling to go to comic conventions to promote the book and I made a lot of friends on the road and comic people are great people. I like 
<laughs> I, I don't like to play favorites, but I think because especially indie comics, it is another. Th- I, I keep getting excited about these forms of art that you make no money from. You know, like sure, there's like <laughs> Marvel and DC, and there is like you know, especially now that is like an empire. But you know, if you go to like an indie comic small press festival nobody there is making any real money whatsoever right it's like people are doing it on their nights and their weekends and it is like there's a real camaraderie in that you know there's a real sense of bonding that happens when you hang out with a bunch of artists who are all doing what you're doing which is just like rushing home from real work to make this thing that you're excited about right and so yeah yeah, my life was just very busy with that book for for about a year and then a year before that for the first volume they took up a lot of my free time and so yeah, I just have a lot of good memories of friends um, that are completely unrelated to the story because they they were around me, they were surrounding me while I was making it, but weren't you know the influence for where the narrative goes. Mm. Um, but yeah, I'm flattered you read it. That's great. I'm I'm happy to hear that there's people still looking at that stuff on my website. That's great. <laughs> I, I'm I'm glad you're keeping it, and I I think what you're talking about the indie comic book uh, artists is. Uh, I guess because you're not making money, uh, much money out of it, that's that's probably why it is so genuine. Because the people who tend to stick with it are, you know, they, they truly make uh, something that means to them. And I think that's probably why we're putting short films uh, with us, why we glorify them so much. Because often I think they're made in the same space, head, same headspace. I agree. That must be why it, it, when you see something good, again, it's just so inspiring. Because you kind of know that what it takes to make these things i also have like so much respect for comic artists it's such such a hard job like you have to be able to do everything you know like people for sure in different industries will glorify the role of an art director and it is not to diminish the work that we do it is oftentimes very challenging but man if you meet like a the top tier comic artist it's insane because they have to do every job and all of them have to be as good as all of the others right like they're are an art director, they're a cinematographer, they're a character designer, they're a layout artist, and they're doing like 30 pages a month somehow. It is, it's it's mind-boggling. It is like a very thankless job. Um, but yeah, it's also very, very inspiring. I love comics. Yeah, yeah. And you really, it's what you're saying, you really have to love it to put in that much uh, effort into it. And I think, I think similar to 2D animation, but maybe even more so uh, what you're describing is more something that people don't know, and I, I would imagine you wouldn't never really know it until you try it, right? Because you yeah. kind of you know you know like if you've never done 2D animation, but you hear it's hard, like you know it's really truly time consuming, but in the same way that uh, comic books are. Um, it's in very the same cool. way earlier that you were asking about whether people should make a film and if they can make a film, I, I wouldn't say one is better than the other, but I would equally push people to try and make a comic, even just like a short like four pager. There are some all time great comics I, I think if anyone is like uh can you can you tell a really good comic story in three or four pages is it possible just google the hellboy comic about the pancakes, pancakes. and yeah <laughs> it will answer that question for the rest of your life you'll realize that oh actually it is possible to tell an amazing story in like two pages and then you realize like how much skill it takes someone to be able to communicate so much in so little uh yeah i think i think just like making a film making a comic is a great exercise and very fulfilling you know you can the benefit of having to be able to do everything is that really you you can do anything right like if you have to do everything then you really can say whatever you want right there are no constraints um my only advice is start small with comics because like you're saying it's like you don't realize how crazy it is until you start and then all of a sudden you're like in real deep so yeah a, a short one is a great place to start for sure and i and i think you achieve the same thing is because as you mentioned earlier it is you're 
thinking of cinematography and timing and the way the pages flow and how you lay it out. It's like you, you, you're doing the same thing that you would be if you were making a short film, uh, I guess minus, you know, doing all the keyframe animation, but you're the way you're thinking through the story and the flow and our direction and everything else you're Mm. and the pacing, even you're, you're doing that. Um, I I really loved, um, I have to mention this and maybe I mentioned before I'm, I'm a Hellboy Mignola nerd and I love how some of the later books, they, they truly like a, I don't, they may be like a master class in visual comic book pacing because you start noticing how, how at key moments, uh, and I'm sure a lot of artists do it, but for me, that's where I learned it or saw it is like how, you know, the spread, sometimes you do a double spread and you get a moment to breathe and you really take it in. And then sometimes you have small panels, but you, uh, if you don't pay attention to it, you may, you may only feel it. But if you really think about how it's laid out, you're like, wow, it's, it's really truly giving me room to breathe like a long shot would or a wide shot. And then, uh, you know, you get a staccato, a texture of uh, multiple moments happening at once. And it, it truly does work uh, in, in some ways like a quick shots would be. Yeah, it's like editing for sure, except for comics. And it is a, yeah. a skill that people don't appreciate until they try and replicate it themselves. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, wow, page layout is a huge deal and also very difficult to do. Yeah. 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 There's also not really an analog for that, right? That is like a thing that is unique to comics. The the skill of comic pacing is uh, for comic artists alone to deal with and learn about. And so, yeah, I think it's one of those things that catches people off guard the first time they try and tell a story visually like that. Oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah, man. What are you, what are you most excited about these days? Um, what am I most excited about? That's a, that's a great question. I'm really... I'm really excited about this new job that I'm starting up. So I'm I'm going to be working um, with a, a video game company who has made some games in the past that I am a huge fan of. I don't know. You were mentioning before you're into narrative games. There's this a French studio called uh, Don't Nod, and they're probably most well known for making the Life is Strange games. And mm-hmm. I played those a few years ago, and I really, really connected with them. For the reasons we were talking about earlier, the... Um, narrative approach that they use and the type of storytelling that they use i found was a really refreshing for me i I like all kinds of games but as i get older i will say i have less interest in like uh machine guns and explosions you know like i I want to engage emotionally and there is part of me for sure i think that will forever be excited about twitch style gaming you know where like how good i am with my controller dictates what's (laughs) happening on the screen that there is part of me that that will forever love that but yeah, another part of me just wants to like emotionally engage with a medium the same way that I do with a great movie or a great book. And I feel like there is a, a growing number of game studios that realize that there's an opportunity to do this. And Don't Nod for me is like one of my personal favorites. And so I'm, I'm working with them on a new thing right now. And, it, you know, it's like it's a, an unannounced project, so I can't really say anything about it other than I'm, I'm super excited for it. And I think um, that's, yeah, where a lot of my energy is going to be going over the next little while. Uh, so I will at some point down the road, like we were saying earlier, there's this huge gap of like you work on something and then it's NDA forever. <laughs> um, but, yeah, that's what I'm excited about. And then in terms of um, things that are things that are coming up, I feel like, yeah, I'm just excited to see where where people are going to push animation because i do feel like there have been a few things that have come out in the past few years like arcane is a good example where i had seen the music videos that fortiche had made and i was really impressed by some of that early league of legends stuff they had done but Mm -hmm. it was really just like 
uh, on an aesthetic level. And it was like exceptional. It was like the coolest animated music video ever. But when they brought it into the format of a TV show and they pushed as hard with story as they did with everything else, I think it really elevated it to a new level. And I'm not necessarily saying that I'm super stoked for Arcane Season 2. I will be excited to watch it, but I the idea that the boundaries of this space that we work in is growing pretty dramatically, I'm more excited for the thing that I don't see coming in the same way that I didn't yeah. see Arcane coming, you know? Like, I, yeah. I didn't expect it to be as good as it was and that it was so refreshing. Yeah, Spider-Verse was another example where like, you know, you can imagine there being a cool animated Spider-Man movie. You say that before Spider-Verse comes out and you're like, oh, that yeah, that could be cool. I could be into that. But then you watch it and you're like, oh, okay. I was, I could never have imagined what this would be. And so I just think that, yeah, in the near future, there are gonna be more of these things where they catch, catch you completely off guard. Um, and it seems like there's more of those now than there ever has been. So I hope the momentum is maintained. Yeah. Planets aligned. Yeah. Uh, that's so cool. And uh, man, that's really, really, really great to hear that you're working for Don, Don, Don Nod. Just because the subject matter, as you say, and the, the, the stories they follow fit kind of along what we're talking about. So, and man, the, the I've never played Life is Strange, but I've only seen the art that was made for it. And wow, they're beautiful. It's stunning, they're, right? Yeah, they're beautiful. Yeah. Just, and I, the way the art was made for it had a sense of impressionism within it. That's kind of my favorite way of kind of making work and seeing work. So it kind of combined all the beautiful elements with wonderful lighting. Uh, I guess I got I to gotta get around to playing that. But um, Yeah, I would recommend awesome. checking it out. Yeah, it's great. Uh, what is one skill uh, artistically that you want to improve on further? Uh I feel like the next time I go back to life drawing, I'm going to have lost everything. You know, it is definitely <laughs> life drawing is not like riding a bike. After two years of not being in the studio, I probably am just going to have to start from scratch. So I'm excited to learn to life draw because that's something yeah. I'm going to have to do now. So, yeah, there I think um, there's this place here in Toronto that um, I was going to back before the pandemic and uh, they've been doing something in a park recently and the weather in Toronto is starting to warm up. And so I think they're going to be doing some outdoor sessions so i'm excited to yeah like learn to learn how to do that thing that apparently i used to know how to do a long time ago um also another like uh, i think maybe a the answer more so that you're looking for is i'm i'm always sort of on the fence about how how i invest my limited time to learn new technical skills right it's um i keep dabbling in blender and part of me really wants to be able to use some more technical tools to complement my more traditional skill set. Um, but it is, there's like a weird push and pull inside of me where the more I do that, the more a different part of my brain says you could express this differently <laughs> yeah if you were drawing or painting it uh, you wouldn't be as limited and it's strange because i feel like the um the speed that it would offer you know the the ability to like block out a scene in 3d and move a camera around is something that you know i'm, I'm at that level in 3d software where i don't think i'll ever get to like a production level like i'm never going to be doing you know finished cinematic scenes with full animations and fully comp it's just like that is not a thing that I, I have any drive to do but be able to like 
build a scene and set up a camera, I feel like saves a ton of time in terms of just like early previs, which is a big part of art direction, right? And so mm-hmm. part of me is like, oh, the, the more I'm able to do that and the better I'm able to do that, the better my work will be. But I also think that um, something that a lot of people, I think just because you learn in a certain way how to do a certain thing, it's very easy to forget that your tool set has a huge, huge influence on the work that you produce. And the longer you spend using a certain tool, for better and worse, the more that tool kind of disappears, right? And, and what I mean mm-hmm. by that is like, when I open Photoshop, I'm never like looking for the hotkeys or where <laughs> things are in a menu, right? It's just like, yeah. it, it is all muscle memory in your brain. And that that's great in terms of just like, I need to knock out an image real quick. So many things are automatic, but the downside of that is those automatic things actually do dictate the end result to some degree, right? Like if I mm-hmm. default to a square brush, that's gonna look a certain way and I'm maybe I'm just not thinking about it because it's autopilot, right? And so, yeah, part of me is like, but do I want those autopilot 3D things in my work? And I, I don't have an answer for that because like I said before, I'm more interested in like communication than technical accuracy. So it is a fine line for me because yeah, I know that it would in some ways make my life much easier, but I'm nervous that I'm gonna lose something in the translation. And so I have like the worst answer ever for your question because I'm like, I maybe want to learn 3D. What are you most excited (laughs) to learn? Maybe Blender until I start to spend more time in Blender and then I wanna unlearn it. Yeah, Yeah, I think a lot of people can relate to you though. Well, I I definitely do. And I'm kind of in the same boat where I've done some stuff in there and I, I see limitations, but also I see a lot of the artists and the places where they take it where I would like to. But I maybe maybe an excuse, but I often find my brain fighting this thing so much that I the time I spent uh, like actually last week on a couple of scenes I wanted to make them. I, I feel like I should have just drawn them. <laughs> right. Yeah. And then the flip the flip side of that is you've probably seen this guy. I think I don't know his real name, but his uh, handle on social media is Dedus or. Yeah, or something yeah, like yeah. that and he yeah. does grease pencil and it is like it's magic i've never seen anything that looks like that and i see that and that sort of like proves to me that my hesitation about technical limitations is just like the point of view of someone who really is just going in and moving cubes and cylinders around which is what i do right but for him mm-hmm. he's making art right like i i don't feel like the the software is inhibiting him he's doing something that i've never seen before that is very exciting so yeah, I don't know. Maybe it is just like you need the right personality and things need to click and you need to find, you know, what works for you. And I part of me wonders if there is space for me there. Um, and mm-hmm. a, another part of me is like, no, you're you're a painter. Keep painting. So we'll see. <laughs> I don't know. It is a wishy-washy answer, but it's the best I got yeah. for you. That's how I feel. And I, I think in the end, uh, the question I ask myself is if what what do I need that skill for? Because, um, for example, you're right, like you, if you're making a cityscape and you want to try a couple of lighting scenarios, it's so much easier to drop in a light, add a little atmosphere, move it around. Like, but in my head, I see that a useful skill, but then I, I wonder, like, when was the last time I needed that and do I need it and will it add it to my, to the final, like, like you said, mood that I need to uh, create. And I maybe there's going to be a time that when it comes around and I need it and I don't have enough skills or hopefully I have enough, but it is so, it it is so tough to know because I don't know about yourself. I find it hard learning something when there is no problem to solve in mind, right? Because like just learning the skill for the sake of learning it. So one day you can use it when you need it is a little bit personally, a little bit harder than 
I'm trying to make this painting and it doesn't work and so how about I solve it in a different way and maybe that's when it's going to click but also these may sound like all excuses so <laughs> I wish yeah what you had just said I wish someone had said that to me when I when I was in college uh, because there were so many things that I was learning because it was what I was supposed to learn and not because it was a thing that I needed or wanted to know and that the distinction is like once you're on the other side of it and you realize you're right it is so much easier when you're problem solving to then go and find the tool that will solve the problem for you but if you just go and buy a giant toolbox with a million things in there and then you try and learn how to use all of them but you don't have anything to build then none of it really sticks you know so yeah, yeah but it's one of those things where until until you're on the other side you don't realize it and i wish i had known that sooner but yeah you're, you're totally right uh, that's just how life works and actually yeah. this is uh this is a segue into a uh, final question which i always ask and i think it's always along those lines where uh, so the question is what would you tell your younger self let's say around the time before you went to post-secondary like what advice would you give yourself and i would say knowing that generally you know i feel like with a lot of the answers like even if you told yourself sometimes you wouldn't know kind of like you said anyway so that's a kind of preamble but what would what would be your advice to your younger self yeah, it's it's tough. I'm definitely one of those people who like, uh, I feel like I I am who I am because of the circumstances up, upon which I arrived, right? You know, I am the person mm -hmm. I am today because of the path I, I took. But um, and so in, in that sense, you know, I, if I had the time machine, I, w I wouldn't go back. But if, uh, if I had to, and I had to go back and say something, I would just tell myself to chill out a little bit. You know, it is like I was saying earlier, it's really easy, especially when you're new to things, to feel uh, a lot more pressure than really is necessary. And I, and I think this advice that I'm offering to myself of, you know, 18 years old, 20 years old, when I'm just going to, to art school, is also advice that I'm offering to myself five and 10 years down the road. You know, it is something that I constantly have to remind myself because I, I see myself going through, uh, often the same problems disguised as new problems throughout my <laughs> life, right? Like I think that yeah. I've solved a thing and then I'm in a new scenario and I'm struggling and then, you know, halfway through that struggle or, you know, sometimes unfortunately on the other side of that struggle, I realize that it is the same thing in disguise, right? And yeah, I think yeah. for me, it is just to like take a deep breath and relax and, you know, things are probably, probably going to work out and you don't need to stress about it. You don't need to stay up that extra hour drawing or painting, you know, things are probably going to work out trust the people you work with. And, you know, I think it comes back to what I was saying before, like art with a capital A, make things that I'm passionate about and excited about and keep chasing that sort of work uh, is easier, as hard as it comes. Um, but yeah, this is, I think, more advice for my future than, than my past. It's something that I need to keep <laughs> front brain reminding myself. That's very good. And I think uh, I have a feeling a dog is going to help a lot with that. Yeah, absolutely. More walks with my dog actually should be the number one thing on top of the list because that has brought me nothing but joy. So yeah, that is that's yeah. a great one to wrap wrap on. When when you look at the life on a grand scheme of things, dog uh, walks with your loved ones and dog, the yeah, best she, the best thing out there. My dog actually <laughs> she has it totally figured out and she has the best life. So yes, if I can sort of <laughs> navigate in behind her path, then I think things will come together just fine. Sam, man, what a pleasure. Uh, I, I have to be honest, I think from our conversation when I messaged you to, I don't know, there's something about you that the feeling that you carry about yourself through your image making and through even the way you communicate when we text is, uh, I knew this would be great, then it was, I think your personality shines through and you talk about translating feelings, but uh, you, I, 
you do you do that well so uh, that means so much to me yeah I, i feel like i i try to wear my heart on my sleeve you know and it is like it you have to put yourself in a vulnerable place when you do that and it is as an artist it's a scary thing right but i yeah. um like i was saying before it's good to be in a in a scary position every now and then and take some chances and especially when it's your your feelings out there it's a little a little intense sometimes but i i'm yeah super appreciative for you to having brought me on here it's been great doing this we should do it again sometime in the future we should reconnect a couple years down the road and see where this covid journey is taking us right because like we're saying we're kind of like still we're still in it right and a lot has happened yeah. but a lot will continue to happen and i'm excited and a little nervous and a little apprehensive um and very curious to see how it's all it's all gonna unfold and i'm glad you're you're documenting this i think um you know the conversations you're going to have with people over the next little while are going to be interesting time capsules to reflect back on five years down the road definitely uh, it's a interesting and a strange time and i appreciate you saying that uh, i think how about um let's do a, a when your next project comes out because i think it'd be very interesting to see these things that you're very excited about that you've been oh working yeah on. when Absolutely. they come out let's do that next For when sure. something is out just reach out and let's chat about it i'm always going to be happy to do that the, and i would love to that sounds great and i, I, I want to know to people that it makes sense that you are an art director and a director because the way you communicate uh, i think shown in this uh, podcast really well anyways i, I thought it was like it as a, as a commu- skill of communication too anyways i'm just uh, probably too hyped about this conversation so <laughs> thanks no, that's great yeah it's been good both ways man i am really glad to have been here thanks so much Thank you, and uh, thanks to everyone for listening. If you want to know more about the podcast, Creative Theory Podcast on Instagram, generally for Sam, let's see, dreamylabs.com, spacebetweenstars.com, and on Instagram, find new eyes. So you can find it there. Thanks so much for listening, and uh, we'll talk to you in the next one.